The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers. You've been warned. No, seriously, there, there's spoilers and, and foul language. Yeah. Welcome to $20 Ticket, where we tell you how much we would pay to watch The Room. My name is Kerwin, and joining me today is Jason. What's up, Jason? Well, hi, Kerwin. Uh, There's one. What's up, man? What are you drinking? <laughs> of course I <laughs> Also joining us today is Muggo. What's up, Muggs? What's up, Kerwin? Uh, what are you drinking today? Hold on, give me a second. <laughs> I, I got, can you do that again? Just do <laughs> oh, hi, Muggo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Um, I, I got a Corsite and a glass of wine. All right, sounds good. Also joining us today is Dominic. What's up, Dominic? Oh, hi, Kerwin. What are you drinking today? Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> And also joining us today is Holly. Holly, how are you? I'm I'm doing well, Karen. How are you? I was gonna do it, but you cut it off. You asked me how I was doing. I'm I'm great. What are you drinking today? I'm drinking a rose, truly. All right, sounds good. So today uh, we're talking about the room, uh, released June 27th, 2003, starring Tommy Wiseau, Greg Sestero, Juliet Danielle, Philip Haldeman, Carolyn Minot. Directed by Tommy Wiseau, written by Tommy Wiseau, produced by Wiseau Films, and distributed by Chloe Productions and TPW Films. Before we get into behind the scenes, Mugga, hit us with the financials. So this only was in theaters for two weeks, correct? Um, and I got only two theaters. So one was being Fairfax and the other one being Fallbrook, both in L.A., I read, I don't know if it was in theaters for the 14 days, so it would be eligible for the Academy Awards. Is that true, too? Um, but I think during that time, I've read multiple sites that have it making around 1800 um, I did read one that said it made around 1900 I don't know. It's hard to find information on that. But um, it was re-released just recently, right? Correct. Okay, so and that, then it made some money. I think it made 549000 at that point. So um, this was only a, a year ago, January 19th to the 21st in 2018. But I think you guys said it's because Disaster Artist was coming out and that yeah. created buzz around the film or everything else. That's exactly why I watched it to begin with. <laughs> yeah, so, but anyways, yeah, that, that's 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 the financials, not too much else. Oh, it did cost uh, six million to make. Yeah. Wow, all right. <laughs> Jason, why don't you tell us what the people thought of it? Uh, so on Rotten Tomatoes, audience had it at a 26% with 27 reviews. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, that's Tomato Meter. With Tomato Meter, 26%, 27 reviews, seven had it fresh, 20 had it rotten with the average score of a 2.9 out of 10. Audience was a little higher at 46%. With over 9,000 reviews, with the average rating of 2.8 out of 5. IMDb had it at 3.7 out of 10 with 70,000 reviews. I looked up the um, the demos again too for this one, and it's interesting that the under 18 again has the highest rating. So we look at all; it's at a 4.9. Males had it at a 4.9, and females again under 18 had it at a 5.4, uh, which was the highest. Uh, and then as you go down, so 18 to 29 average is about 3.8. 30 to 44 was a 3.4, and then 45 plus was 3.1. So definitely the younger demo liked this. Um, and it's weird that the females under 18, again, rated this really high. Interesting. Where would you, what would you rate this if you had to rate it? Um, I know we're going to do our rating, but like, do you uh, agree would, with the audience or would you even go lower? Uh, the audience had it at 46 on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, critics had it at 26. I think I might be a little lower than that. So <laughs> just, just a little? <laughs> just a little lower than that. All right, so there is a lot going on with this movie. So let's get into behind the scenes. Uh, first off, we're going to start with Tommy Wiseau, the man, the myth, the legend, the guy that made this movie. Um, there's a ton of secrecy and mystery surrounding Tommy Wiseau. People constantly speculate about his age, his family, 
where he gets his money and exactly, you know, where does he come from? According to Julia Danielle, who plays Lisa, even the cast and crew tried for a long time to figure out where he was from, but they never got an answer. Anyone that follows Tommy Wiseau knows that he speaks with a heavy Eastern European accent. For a long time, Wiseau claimed to be American born in the United States. For example, in a 2010 interview with Australian journalism site Crikey.com, he made it a point to reiterate that he was born and raised American, exclaiming that he didn't have a strange accent, saying that the citizens across the United States have varying accents and that his accent will change based on where he is and who he's talking to. Rick Harper, director of the documentary A Room Full of Spoons, says that Tommy's obsessed with America and doesn't want to think about his past. He says he was born in 1968, uh, which is a lie, but 1968 is around the time when he came to the U.S., um, so his arrival in the United States was essentially a rebirth for him. Um, It wasn't until late 2017 on Jimmy Kimmel that he admitted he's originally from Europe, although he doesn't specify where. But if you look for him on Google, his birth information does pop up. He was born October 3rd, 1955 in uh, Ponzen. I I believe that's the pronunciation, Ponzen, uh, Poland. So he was born October 3rd, 1955 in Poland. Tommy says he lived in France a long time ago, then moved to New Orleans where he says he grew up and he claims to have a lot of family there. Um, Then he eventually moved to the California Bay Area. He became a citizen and according to Greg Sestero, changed his name to Thomas Pierre Wiseau. His last name is actually the French word for bird, except he replaces the letter O with a W. Apparently at one point uh, he got this name Birdman for the bird toys he used to sell while he was in San Francisco. Tommy Wiseau also claims to have a degree in psychology from Laney Community College in Oakland and even lists psychology as a hobby in multiple interviews. Uh, Despite all the jobs he had or the other interests he might have had, Wiseau has always stated that he's wanted to be an actor and director. Um, So getting into uh, Tommy Wiseau's interest in film, uh, Wiseau's interest in film revolves around classic cinema, specifically movies like Citizen Kane and anything that revolves around James Dean movies. On Rotten Tomatoes, Wiseau lists Citizen Kane, Giant, which stars James Dean, Sonny, which stars James Franco, Casablanca, and A Streetcar Named Desire as his top five favorite films. Regarding his inspiration, he says, quote, I inspire myself every day of my existence, but my creativity is connected to the creativity of Tennessee Williams, Orson Welles, Hitchcock, and others because we're all on the same page, end quote. In order to get his SAG card, Wiseau even shot and starred in a commercial for his own clothing company. What? Yeah. No, so, okay, so I actually read The Disaster Artist, the book by Greg Sestero, and it was talking about how kind of similarly mirrored in the movie that he moved to LA was living in Tommy Wiseau's place and Tommy Wiseau was almost like a single white female like what are you doing how are you doing it how do I get my SAG card and he basically told him you have to have three credited extra scenes or you have to star in a major commercial so I guess he came back like two weeks later and like had filmed his own commercial based off the highlight reel that Greg Sestero had done with his acting pursuits so it was like creepy really creepy. I guess um, Greg Sestero did the Puppet Master. Mm. That was one of his credited scenes. And so they sent him like a reel of some of the scenes. And one of them was like, there was candles everywhere and he's walking up the staircase. And in Tommy Wiseau's commercial, he's like walking up a staircase with candles everywhere. It's like the creepiest, like Greg Sestero watched it and Tommy Wiseau made him watch it like three times. And Greg was just kind of like, I imagine he had to be like, Oh, yeah. in the background yeah he probably saw that and just felt like oh that's what I need like he, he 
seems to take things very literally, you yeah. know, as, as we'll get right, into it. Right, because he yeah. sees like another person acting and getting their SAG card. And so that was his inspiration. And I guess it was kind of all of that. And like Tommy Wiseau would always be like, I'm not your competition. Like, but he would, I, I'm really bad at that voice. That's but pretty he, good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tommy, is that you? <laughs> but he, he was constantly like asking Greg, like, who does your headshots? And who's your agent? Are they taking on any new talent? Who are you taking classes with? Who are you talking to? So it was borderline single white female during that time. Oof. All right. So (laughs) getting into the origins of The Room as we know it, uh, in a 2011 interview with IndieWire, Wiseau says that The Room is a product of almost 20 years of work and started as a 600-page book that was going to be turned into a play. Wiseau, however, changed his mind and he decided that he wanted to do a film instead. Um, He says that he did a study and concluded that people in the U.S. were more likely to visit a movie theater than see a stage play, and that's how he made his decision to turn the play into a film. On why exactly he called the movie The Room, Tommy says on a bonus DVD extra, quote, because the title has a special meaning to me, and at the time I thought about a special place, a private place, a place where you can be safe, and it's not a room, it's the room. I thought and I think that a lot of people will relate to it. It's a place where you can go. You can have a good time. You can have a bad time. And it's a safe place. So it has nothing to do with the story of the movie or anything, right? But I heard or read somewhere it said, like, it's a good, it was where good things, like, good things and bad things can take place. And it's like, that's a very generic, like, <laughs> answer. Yeah, uh, just any room. I, I, you know, we can get into it later, but I would assume the room is whatever you make it to be. It's an empty place in which you can fill your desires, hopes, dreams, failures, etc. But we'll get into that later. Um, He didn't want to approach any studios because he knew they would never produce his movie. He says that his friends actually tried to pitch it for him, but they were unsuccessful. But he actually did take the movie to Paramount Pictures, who supposedly turned around and rejected the movie in 24 hours, despite it usually taking two weeks to respond to film submissions. Uh, In another interview, Wiseau claims that he didn't want to approach any studio because he wanted to do things his way, quote, my way or the highway. Um, So this was, you know, a very personal project for him. And it was always his dream. You know, he was, you know, striving to achieve his dreams and whatnot. On being asked what he would tell people about following their dreams in a Portland Mercury interview, he said, quote, first think about 20% of your project, then 40% and so forth. And you may accomplish your dreams. This simple formula can be applied to any situation as long as you are honest with yourself and work at it, end quote. Uh, Regardless of what happened, Tommy didn't get major studio distribution, so he decided to finance the film himself. So because he financed the film himself, uh, you know, he clearly put up his own money, didn't take out loans or anything like that, you know, to anybody's knowledge. Uh, Apparently he had, I guess, a small fortune that he was sitting on. So that's what I think if you watch Disaster Artists, it's like really vague or it's like a interest on how he gets the money do you know how he got it i heard something about like jackets from korea or something or i, yeah, I don't know I like because like not only was he in charge of like state. financing it yeah. and buying the equipment and all that stuff he also did the marketing right the billboard which well, i know we'll get into yeah, but he bought the equipment outright like yeah like he did they, they like <laughs> advise against him of like no you should just rent this like you know i'm gonna buy it <laughs> Yes. Like my, my thing is like, do you know exactly where the money came from or? No, I don't know exactly where the money came from, but I do know kind of things that he might've been involved in, uh, kind of allegedly, according to, uh, Greg's book. Um, he says that Tommy worked multiple jobs in the Bay area and had, and actually currently has a clothing business called street fashions USA. 
he would buy and rent out large retail spaces in LA and San Francisco, and that made him a lot of money too. Uh, Cicero finds that these jobs um, aren't exactly believable, I guess, as a means of attaining the wealth that he had. Um, he kind of feels, and a lot of people feel like his you know, mass fortune had to come from somewhere else. He also makes a lot of money um, from an import clothing business. Um, he says that he imports leather jackets from Korea uh, that are designed in America. If you go to TommyWiseau.com, you can actually purchase tons of the room-related apparel and accessories. Uh, you can buy ties, jackets. You can buy the little toy doggy from the movie. You can buy... Oh, my God. You can buy unisex underwear. You can, you can buy Tommy Wiseau underwear. It says it on the waistband. Um, and he once told the Hollywood Reporter that uh, his items would improve your sexuality by 40%. He also says that he saved his money, plain and simple, and quote, I didn't get my money from the sky. Um, there was some speculation on set that the entire production of the room was a money laundering scheme for the mob, but um, when speaking about it, Sistero says he doesn't believe that to be possible. I was listening to when James Franco and Tommy Wiseau run Howard Stern, they were talking a little bit about to, to Tommy about like, you know, where did you get your money from? And you know, they talk about the little figuring birds that he made. They talked about the jackets. They talked about jeans, but then they also talked a lot about real estate too. So I, I was, they were talking about how, you know, well, that's great, like that you did real estate, but you have to have money to do this. And even then he's like, well, you just saved, like I just saved my money and I was able to do this. And it's just like, you could tell in the interview that they get to a point where it's just like, we got to move on because there's just no answer, just right. kind of sidestepping every question. But uh, it's funny that you say that, that he actually walked into the, the interview wearing the Wiseau underwear kind of poking out. So that was, that was kind of funny to me. But yeah, I, I try to look up the, the, uh, commercial real estate or whatever he was doing. I can't find anything about it though. I don't know if you guys did. No, I didn't find anything about that either. Yeah. yeah so I read a couple different conspiracy theories about how he acquired his money. Like the wildest one that I read was that he is DB Cooper, who I'd never heard of. So I'll walk you through this real quick. Um, this one goes back to 1971 when a man used the alias Dan Cooper. He hijacked a 727 with a briefcase bomb and forced the jet to land where he secured $200,000 cash ransom before forcing the pilots to take off again. Once in the air, Cooper opened the door and parachuted down somewhere into the Pacific Northwest forests, never to be seen again. With no one injured and no suspect charged in the 45 years, the case remained open. The mystery man who eventually became known as D.B. Cooper was gradually elevated to the status of folk hero. So people believe that that could be Tommy Wiseau, but $200,000 seems unrealistic when you're thinking about financing a $6 million film. Um, but the one conspiracy theory that I heard that actually makes sense is that he got his money from Chloe Litsky, and she's actually cited as somebody in the production. So she's actually cited as an executive producer. Um, with The Room, there are three executive producers that were listed to The Room's credits. One was Chloe Litsky who people speculate she's his ESL teacher, who he became very close with. She was a much older woman who lived in Oakland and was confined to a wheelchair and had never been involved in the film production before or after or during The Room. Another, Drew Caffrey, with whom Tommy became very close soon after moving to San Francisco, had been deceased for years at the time of the film's production. Along with being the executive producer, Caffrey was credited as another one of Tommy's assistants and the San Francisco casting director. So this guy was dead, but he was still credited with two parts on the film. But a lot of people said that Tommy would have conversations with this Chloe woman and secure more money. Hmm. 
This guy might be a genius of some sort. Just, I mean, I, I, for so, how much this has a following and how he was, has six million dollars well, to do, I don't know. The like, guy that um, the, we'll get into this later, but the guy that did that Room Full of Spoons documentary, the Canadian documentary, he said that he was actually a business partner of Tommy's for a while. And you know, although kind of in the film industry, you know, people don't necessarily take him so seriously. He says that once you put him in a business situation, he's just this ultra savvy person. He knows about everything regarding marketing and sales and and profit margin and everything. Well, like, going to the billboard, isn't the billboard like a big deal for like this whole process, right? I mean, I I know I know it was yeah. up for what he kept it up for five years. Well, yeah. So in the Disaster Artist, it says he spent five thousand per month for five years keeping up a Highland Avenue billboard advertising the film. He spent thousands of dollars a month paying one theater in Los Angeles to screen the room, earning the return on his investment somewhere between $100 and $200 per month, if that. If you want to make a large amount of money disappear, this is certainly one way to do it. But to a certain point, don't even money laundering schemes diversify. That's what Greg Sestero wrote. But I no, I mean, but I, I heard that that billboard was a big deal. Like it created so much buzz, and everyone was like interested or what? It, I, I don't. I mean, I don't know because yeah, they didn't know what it was. It, it looked like a mugshot. Oh yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah. They said it was it his mugshot. Yeah, you know, just but, like yeah. the room. They're just yeah. like, and I, I guess they actually when they were doing the disaster artist, they put it on the same billboard. Do you guys know that? Um, the billboard. I, I don't know if it was the same billboard. Oh, I, I, but I read it was, that it was the same one. It was the same one. That's what I read. Maybe I mean it might have been wrong. I know. I know they put it back up, but it wasn't on the same side of Highland. It was somewhere else in Hollywood, but it might have been the same place i yeah. don't know yeah why was it up for five years i mean the movie was in theaters for two weeks. why was this up for five years he loves his movie man <laughs> he loves a hey, if you got the money and you love your movie why not why not blast it for everybody to see they said uh, it became like a small tourist attraction like people knew that it was up for so long people would go and take pictures with it too because they're like really? why the hell is this up like i've never seen this movie i've never heard of this movie so people would go there and it wasn't a big deal but people would go take a picture in front of this billboard all right so as far as you know what else he spent his money on um, he spent a lot of it, uh, and for not a lot of good reasons. Uh, Tommy would spend money on equipment he didn't need or building sets that didn't need to be built or filming entire sequences that had nothing to do with the film's plot. Uh, Wiseau actually bought all of the film's equipment, uh, filming equipment, instead of renting it, which is a much more common practice in Hollywood. Uh, he got it from a Los Angeles audiovisual studio or rental company called uh, Brings and Sawyer. One of the pieces that he bought was a $30,000 digital camera strictly for recorded behind the scenes footage, not even for the actual production of the film. So but that's why he bought the two. Yeah, well, he bought he bought multiples. Okay. So he, he bought multiple HD cameras and multiple 35 millimeter cameras, but he also bought the behind the scenes camera in addition to those. Regarding the two camera types, um, it was shot simultaneously with both cameras. It's something that Wiseau was very proud of. Um, he even had a rig custom built in order to shoot both both formats side by they side. They put him on the same rig, right? Yeah, yeah. they put him on the same. Like two crews to operate him, and like. Oh yeah. Did he just not know what he was going to film it in, or just it was? Gonna well, it's a big it. Hollywood move. Yeah, but he no, was. What's the real reason? See. Like he had to have some sort of vision. He wasn't just like I'm going to film it in both. Like, All right. So one of the reasons was that he was kind of confused between the two formats. <laughs> So he said. So just buy it. So he said, yeah. So he bought both. I want it. I got it. And one of the one of the reasons in an interview, uh, in an interview, one of the reasons he stated was that he wanted to use both formats because he thought it'd be cool to write a book about it afterwards. You're lying. Dead serious. He didn't oh even write the book God. though. That's hilarious. Oh no no no. Oh. He he wants to do a book specifically about how he shot the movie. Totally separate book. Yes. Sorry, this isn't a visual podcast. I just rolled my eyes. <laughs> You'll see. 
Don't worry about it. Um, so Wiseau didn't actually want to film uh, in real locations. Um, you, you know, when you look at the scenes that take place on rooftops or in alleyways. Um, so he chose to build those scenes uh, as stages or on stages because that's how he perceived big studios to do all their movies. He's quoted as saying, we do no different than big studios. So that's why you see a ton of green screen you know, on rooftops. Horrible green screen, Horrible. but yeah. Well, I think that's like kind of what you question. You're just like, as opposed to like staging an alleyway on a studio, why wouldn't you just go to an alleyway? Or if you want to shoot on a roof, I'm sure you could find a roof. It's like building a house in a house to film. It, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and the thing is too, when you talk about a lot of the sets, um, there were instances where he would have the crew tear down a set mm-hmm. only for them to have to rebuild the exact same set the next day or within a few days like so yeah i was gonna say throughout the book it just talks about how he was just like no we need to reshoot this in another location and it would cost like eighty thousand dollars to do and it it, again like the scenes that they were shooting had no plot development moments so the cast and the crew they they had to see that this was just like a disaster shit show right i mean did anyone speak up or they not they did. I mean, how, yeah. like, so how are you? How is the script supervisor or the I mean, anyone like, hey, you're, this is dumb? You know, like I don't. Well, he didn't give anybody really access to the script. Like according to the book, there was well, two I, and people. I saw that on the movie. He wouldn't give full two people that or, had access to the scripts. It's similar to the movie in the book, there was only Tommy, the script supervisor, and Greg Sestero, the guy who plays Mark, had access to the full script. Everyone was given just little tidbits of it, so he wanted them to be on set at all times. So that's what, they didn't know the direction of the movie, they had but no what idea. the full thing was. No, why, what was the reason why he didn't do that? Like, why would he not give anyone access to the script? I don't. I mean, there wasn't really much rationale besides him giving. Oh, his, it's, like, it's, it's a big, really much well, it's a big Hollywood movie. Right? movie yeah. you know? No, it's. I think it's just it's his baby. It's his vision. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's it's the thing. Him. It's the thing with uh, him wanting to cr- control every aspect of the filming. Him being the writer, director, producer. Uh, spending all his own money, yeah. not going through a major distributor. You know, he can control every facet of, of the production. And I think, you know, just withholding the script from a lot of people is a way to do that. Wow. Right. So it's like they don't know. And he, he would demand that they were like on set, but he was notoriously four to five hours late every single well, day. Well, I heard, I heard he also demanded that every actor had to be on set for every scene, shoot, right. whatever. Because if he wanted to change it up, they had to be available right then and there. Which, right. yeah. There's no, you can't do <laughs> well, that. Well, it was supposed to be, I guess it was supposed to be two weeks and it ended up being six months. God. So like a lot of people that signed on the in the beginning and shot in the beginning were replaced just because when you work in LA or you work in Hollywood, you can't dedicate six months to an independent project. Well, like, and so, and I know, Corwin, you're going to get into like the actual casting, but getting that the, there's a character, which is the psychologist guy, right? Peter, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. he he was supposed to be at the end, the guy that confronts Lisa about her, you know, cheating and all that other stuff. And it's like, he's not. So this random guy comes in and tell me when he comes in, you guys are all like, who the fuck is this right. guy? Like, right. like what are he, he doesn't even you look never, similar. You never no, get his name, but his name, I guess, is supposed to be Steven. Yeah, <laughs> like, no but it's like, where did he come from? I'm right? like, who are you, dude? Like, yeah, all of a like, you know everyone and what's going on. He's yeah, like, I'm done. and he refers to them. He goes, "This is gonna mess up the group." I go, "You haven't been in the movie, dude." <laughs> now it's a funny Whatever, thing dude. because uh, the guy that was supposed to play Peter, or the guy that did play Peter, I think his name is uh, Kyle Vote. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, he actually had to quit because, like you said, Holly, the production was going on way too long, and he didn't have enough time available to be there. Um, he was supposed to have that pivotal moment, uh, the part where Steve, right, yeah. Stephen comes in. Um, but they gave that to another actor named Greg Ellery, 
um, when he got cast, Ellery says that Wiseau told him, quote, Peter left. Now you're like Peter, but you're Steven. And and that's the explanation he got when he got on I feel set. Like it's very Tommy Wiseau from all the research I've done. Yeah, and then uh, on Greg Ellery's first day on set, he actually approached uh, Sestero, assuming that he was the director, and he saw Tommy Wiseau standing nearby, and he made the comment to Greg saying, "Oh, that's real funny. You brought in a crackhead to mess with the actors." <laughs> Talking about Tommy. God. Yeah. That's Jesus. pretty rough. We'll be famous. You're my favorite customer. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I say that in Tommy voice? <laughs> Because you, you have You're to. You're my favorite customer. Did yeah. you hear why Mark's character is Mark? Yeah, Did you, the Matt Damon. Is it, but he thought Matt Damon's <laughs> acting was so great, so that's what he... But he thought that his name was Mark Damon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why his name's Mark in the movie? Like, yeah. yeah. It was like, actually, he's like, oh, Mark Damon. <laughs> <laughs> It was like the uh, talented Mr. Ripley, right? Is yeah. that what he was watching? Yeah, yeah, Which is a crazy freaking movie. I, I just, like, that's why you named him Mark? Like, yeah. like if you if you made this up, I'd be it like, no one's ever going like, to believe different... that. But, like, this is really where it came from. Yeah, so know. Greg Sestero wasn't actually Mark to begin with. So they had this other guy cast, and this is so shady of Tommy Wiseau. He, um, according to the disaster artist, had this other guy planned to be Mark because Greg Sestero didn't want to commit to it. He was already helping out with the casting. He was the quote-unquote line producer. But Tommy tried to talk him into it, essentially gave him an offer that he couldn't refuse as a struggling actor. And with this other guy that was set to play Mark, he was like, hey, we're going to have Greg come in and like read for the part. You know, He's going to try out this Mark character because the producers want to see it. And then when the other guy would run the lines, they just wouldn't roll the film. So like eventually he caught on to it and was like, what the fuck, you guys? And they were like, you're out. Wow. It was crazy, yeah. So Greg Sestero wasn't even supposed to be, he was supposed to be Mark, but he wasn't originally cast. They had a whole nother guy. That's wow. shady. Shady as hell. Then you got uh, Lisa. She was like the, like the third or fourth runner up. Right. Yeah, yeah. She, she was originally cast as Michelle, um, but she was also understudy for the Lisa role. Um, I think in an interview, uh, Greg said that um, there was somebody cast, but she was like an older Latina woman, I think. Yeah, around uh, what's yeah. his name? Because he age? wanted to get somebody like Angelica Jolie. <laughs> Is that what he said? <laughs> oh, God. Could this guy get names right? <laughs> like, yeah. He's trying his hardest. He got him. he got Mark right. <laughs> Mark Damon? Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I guess uh, she got bumped along with a couple other actresses because uh, Johnny didn't feel... Johnny, jeez. Tommy didn't feel... I can't get the names right. Tommy didn't feel any chemistry with any of them and he didn't feel any chemistry until uh, he chose uh, Juliet Danielle. So that's how she got the role. I was going to say in the book, it, it just describes it differently. I think under the, like, the situations that this girl had to film... And like constantly, like the audition process was a joke because he'd be like, your mom just died. How do you react? And like the audition process, like there was literally a bed in the room. And like most women seeing that are like, is the room a porno? Because there's a bed here. Like, and they would have to make out with him for minutes on end. And I guess this Juliet girl was just like, as soon as the Lisa quit, she's like, I want to be Lisa. How do I try out for Lisa? And would make out with Tommy Wiseau for like minutes at a time. That makes perfect sense now. Right. And yeah. so it's not that like nobody wow. else wanted the role, but I think she was willing to subject herself. Cause when we get into like behind the scenes of like, I don't even know what to call them. Like she's, he would open up the set and she's essentially there naked. And like most women would be like deuces I'm out, yeah. but she kind of subjected herself to it. And there's like a lot like backstory of like, she was supporting her family financially. She needed this role, you know, do you know how much these guys got paid? 
Because I couldn't find that. Oh, they got paid well. They did. They oh, yeah. did. Well, if it cost $6 million to make, I can imagine. And it went on yeah. for six months. And they're still making royalties. And I imagine like they, with the You really cult, think they are? Yeah. So I was listening to a podcast. It's How Did This Get Made? And Greg Sestero was talking about how he, out of all his acting endeavors, he didn't think that it would provide any like financial gain. But The Room is actually been the most successful so like he'll do trips to ireland to like meet fans who are like obsessed with this movie so it's got a cult following like all throughout the world yeah, oh, yeah. So he's yeah. gone to prague he's gone to ireland he's gone all over the u.s he obviously wrote the disaster artist which is actually a pretty good book i'm gonna give it to him nice. so so uh let's talk about denny um <laughs> oh, he, he's gonna get into my trash this guy oh my so, god little uh, voyeur so denny was played by uh philip haldeman i just um, like watching you guys here's the backstory on <laughs> yeah look at you and i both the fuck and uh denny is johnny's uh semi-adopted son slash friend and neighbor um according to what also confesses that he's Interested in his soon-to-be wife, uh, future, future wife, future wife, future yeah. wife. Yeah, what? but uh, yeah, in the movie, Denny's supposed to be sixteen to to eighteen years old, and quote a little retarded, according to Tommy Wiseau. You don't say that word. Um, I I don't. Mentally that's challenged. That's why I'm saying uh, according to Tommy. But um, Haldeman was actually 26 years old at the time of the film's release. You know, he's older than uh, Lisa and. And Mark, like I heard he was the oldest actors. besides yeah. Tommy Wiseau, right? Oldest guy on the yeah. set, I think. Besides, and the mom. Well, well Tom, and, oh, the and the mom, mom yeah, yeah, of course, the mom, yeah. Oh, the mom. Oh. <laughs> Did she die from breast cancer yet? Because, like, all we hear is that one time. Well, I, I can just add, just with reading the book, that there was just a lot of turnover with the cast. He kind of cast it as almost as if it was a play, and there was kind of an understudy situation. So he had multiple people cast for, for different roles. The cast that you see is not necessarily the cast that was originally cast, because there was a lot of turnover, like unfair working conditions, <laughs> craziness, and dealing with someone like Tommy Wiseau. When like, you say unfair, because I mean, I'm new to this movie. I've only been exposed to this for like a week. Mm -hmm. On The Disaster Artist, <laughs> she passes out. Is that really yeah. what happened? Be so the mom in this movie like passed out, because they were working, and he didn't. There was no air. There was no there. air conditioning. Wow. There was no water on set. And this woman's like in her mid-60s. Yeah. Didn't he ask uh, Greg to, if his girlfriend could get water? It was on the disaster artist. Like, why don't you have your girlfriend go get water? Was that true? I don't know. I, it, like, it wasn't he refused book, yeah. to get like water, I guess. Like, He's no like, this is Hollywood. Like, we don't provide water. <laughs> Something crazy. But yeah, yeah, so there was a lot of turnover with the cast. I think a lot, like especially the crew. So I think he went through three, like, I don't, I don't know what it's technically called, but like assistant directors. So when he was shooting the scene, like somebody had to call cut. He went through like three crews of that because, I mean, I think we all would probably be in the same situation where you're seeing somebody do something that they think is genius, but you're like, this is dumb as shit. Like, why do you have two cameras? Why are you spending all this money? Why do you like, why are you filming it this way? Why are you green screening something that you could easily do? And, and people would eventually grow frustrated and just quit. Wow. I read there was 400 people that worked on this film and I just... Like 400 worked yeah. on this. I, like, what the hell were all these people doing? They're yeah. putting up Quitting. the drapes, man. <laughs> Setting up the green screen and doing all that stuff. I mean, Jesus, because I, I didn't get it. But I, I was, I read that too, Holly, that uh, the camera crew, he went through four different teams of people. Right. And I think it was, he was on Jimmy Kimmel and they asked him about it. And I guess he's like, oh, we, had, we just had different visions. And so he, <laughs> he just let go. Of four different teams of people. Yeah, but he compensates them. Like. But I mean, he was just, he was like bizarre on set too. So I was reading, I was reading something in the book and it just kind of stuck out to me. Like what you guys were saying, he was like a very savvy business guy. Like 
they were saying in his everyday life, he was very frugal, was always asking for discounts, would be like, do you guys have a student discount? And people would laugh at him because he's 70 years old. Um, but there was a situation where the guy who played Chris R, the actor, the thug or the gangster, as Tommy Wiseau called him, was told that he was going to be promised a full wardrobe and he wasn't. And they ended up scuffing his boots. You know, that scene where they come in and then they, they pull him off and they, they scuffed his boots. So I guess this guy presented a receipt to Tommy for like 80 bucks and was like, you guys owe me new boots. You guys promised me a wardrobe and you guys scuffed my personal shoes. So you guys need to do this. And I guess Tommy Wiseau fought him like tooth and nail on it. It was like, we're not we're for not $80. This money. Yeah. Six million to make the movie. He won't pay an eighty dollars shoe. Yeah, no, but this was this was the part in the book that I loved. It was like Tommy balked at replacing Dan's eighty dollars Skechers, but I later learned that Tommy's decision to reshoot the Chris R scene, a scene I should note that had no impact in the film's plot, cost production over eighty thousand dollars. So they replaced it from the alleyway to the roof, and to do that, it cost eighty thousand dollars. But he was literally like giving him the business over eighty dollars boots. Good God. So that's just like kind of how bizarre he was. Like he didn't give a shit about like production money, but the own like the little things like that. Like he gave little to no money for the like the costumes, the makeup. Yeah, he put like no money in the wardrobe. Nothing. Right. Yeah. What a dick. <laughs> Carwin, big Hollywood movie. You'll see. You'll see. Oh, I saw. Sorry about it. They definitely had a ton of problems on set. And Tommy, Tommy wasn't any help either. Uh, you know, also being an actor, not just a director, but producer. like you, yeah, and a producer. Like you said, Holly, you know, he would just show up four or five, however many hours late. Um, I think the first day he was like super late because he was just dyeing his hair black. Yep. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, he could never memorize his lines or get takes right. Um, so that resulted in long shooting schedules. Um, and that's why you see a lot of dialogue is dubbed over uh, in post in this movie. Uh, his mouth doesn't match the words he's saying. Um, and he even needed cue cards while he was on set. At some point during the shoot, I guess he was drugged up on NyQuil the entire yeah. time. He had like the a cold. through his apartment. Yeah. So to combat the, the effects of the NyQuil, he would actually chug Red Bulls. So he yeah. was like hopped up on NyQuil and Red Bull like for the significant part of the shooting i guess you said i heard he took nyquil because he had like a cough and like sniffles or something i mean that's basically your normal yeah but why would you take nyquil when you're going to work like there's something called dayquil like i don't know why Why, there's a lot of things we can ask about the (laughs) logic of this movie i'm not going to start with nyquil and red bull did the the voiceover the dubbing did that take because this is this the room is new to me i watched the disaster artist i want to say a few months ago yeah but the room i just watched for the first time this week and uh actually today (laughs) correction uh, Correction. I started doing research and then I was like I just gotta watch this movie I was putting it off and I was like all right I'm gonna start it but um did it did it throw you guys off because I'm watching this and I'm like what in the hell is going on why is there so much voiceover yeah it took away from me a little bit and I it was more awkward during the sex scenes I was like oh the sex scenes were terrible I don't know I I think the sex scenes I I honestly thought the entire movie was a voiceover like like I I thought I mean do you really I mean you can clearly tell, like, there's yeah. no way that's like the well, original. I, yeah. My favorite was like the coffee shop scene because it sounds like when they're making, it sounds like so how's I'm, your sex life? I'm in there. <laughs> no, it sounds like I'm in that coffee shop going, <laughs> like with the coffee. It sounds like a person's literally making that noise, and it's so the the dubbing over it is the least of this movie's problems. I I, I disagree. I think this is I don't know. a huge glaring like, issue. Huge okay. Yeah. 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 It's distracting. You're oh, one hundred percent. Do you know why they had to do that? Is because they just were horrible at 
oh, getting the original sound or I mean, what's no, the reason? Just he, he couldn't memorize his lines and it would take too long and they just said, screw it, we'll do it in post or he would slur a lot. You know, his English wasn't perfect right. at the time. I think he had, uh, I think at he had time? like a, sorry, <laughs> his English wasn't perfect. Isn't, I'm not, I'm not making fun of somebody who's ESL. Like no, I, no, I got you. have so much respect for, for people that learn the language. Cause we were saying it's very complicated. We use a lot of there, there and there. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it is a hard language, especially if it's not your first language. Oh, and yeah. I get that. I'm not making fun of him for being ESL, but it's just, he, I feel like this whole movie, if we can get into it, is just him thinking of what Americans do and Americans say. So like when there's a scene when he's like twos, Two's great, but three's a crowd or something. He says some. What, what does he say? Yeah, he says yeah. Uh, he says two is great, but three's a crowd. Yeah, and the, the phrase is like two's company, but like, or no, two's why the football's in there so much and all yeah. those other things. Oh, I found yeah, out about that because I, I was like, what is oh, going on yeah. here? Yeah. Oh yeah. So um, we'll get into that in trash or treasure. <laughs> yeah, just uh, yeah. He was he was really bad on set, and that famous scene, you know, the Ohio Mark when he jumps up on the roof <laughs> took uh, took thirty two takes. Thirty-two takes to get right. He bragged about that too, didn't he? He bragged about it. He's like, "Yeah, it only took me." (laughs) Only, (laughs) only. The disaster artist—they made it seem like that was his first scene that he was doing. He didn't even hear him like in the movie, like say action. He goes, "You gotta say it loud. I could hear you." (laughs) (laughs) Say what you heard. Line. Line. Um, yeah, but, uh, there wasn't a, there was an anonymous source on set that said, um, although he had, he didn't have any issues with Tommy, he did say, quote, he's full of shit regarding <laughs> Tommy claiming that a lot of the mistakes in the movie were deliberate and intentional. Um, the guy or woman ended up saying the movie was basically a stage for him to show off his acting ability and nothing else. Which is no acting ability. Yeah. But that's what, they, okay. So I, he's come out and said that this movie is dark humor Black Did comedy. it start that way? I don't think so. I, I think he wanted like yeah. a dramatic role where well, he isn't was the tagline be the hero, is like right? who can you trust or something. No, he's like, trying to spin it because he, he, like you said, he wants to be in control of everything. I think he wants to be in control of the narrative of this movie. So he looks at people laughing at his movie and says, "Oh, it's a comedy. That's what I intended." Ha ha. You know, like when you slip and fall, and you, <laughs> you pick yourself up real quick and be like, "I meant to do that." I think yeah. that's kind of what he's doing. Speaking right. of laughing, I heard it was really awkward on set on the one scene where he finds out Lisa's cheated, right? And he says, you know, she's trying to get him to come to the bathroom. He goes, in a minute, bitch, right? And I heard the entire, the entire, entire cast was like laughing. And he was like, why are you guys laughing? I'm, I'm trying to do a Tommy voice. In a minute, bitch. But I heard that was like a big deal during Your the production of it. Tommy voice is about as good as mine. So. Yeah. But yeah, he was like really like, minute, he was bitch. like offended that they thought this was funny. And they were like, you serious, dude? Like, but I don't, yeah. In a few minutes, bitch. I wrote that down because yeah. I, I laughed really hard at it. It just, I loved a lot, of, a lot of scenes in this movie. I was cracking up. It's a dark comedy. Yeah. I just like how he, how Tommy says that he was intentionally attempting to emulate uh, Orson Welles, Clint Eastwood, Marlon Brando, or James Dean. And James like, Dean being the main one, right? Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. yeah. James Dean. Yeah. But I didn't get any of that from his performance personally. Did you see the scene that he was trying to imitate from uh, James Dean? The least set. You tear me apart. Tear me apart. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so there is a line in The Disaster Artist where he said, quote, this mistake concerned Johnny's biggest line in the film. You're tearing me apart, Lisa. And I'm like gripping my arms like he does. Um, That's not what the original script said, though. The line in the original script read, you're taking me apart, Lisa. 
Tommy stole, or rather tried and failed to steal, the you're tearing me apart line from Rebel Without a Cause, spoken by James Dean character Jim Stark, who is drunk and lashing out at his parents. So that wasn't even so the line. So it was originally supposed to be taking me you're apart? You're taking me apart, Lisa. Does that make sense, you being the English person? Like, I don't know. Does, does it make sense you sense not being an English person? No. If, if he says taking, does it make sense more in the movie? No. At all. But I mean, <laughs> honestly, honestly, honestly at this point, a shark could have come in and ate him out of his Sharknado living room. Sharknado And it could have made more sense than this movie. So I'm not really concerned with the, uh, you're taking me apart, Lisa? Yeah, that would have been... The it's slasher a, it's movie. A typo. The slasher movie that we all thought it was based off the poster. Oh yeah. I one thing that I read in production and it really um I think now I mean we're probably gonna watch this movie again, right? You know, like <laughs> um I guess when he went to San Francisco to shoot some of the San Francisco panoramic scenes, but also he didn't realize that you needed a permit to do that. And so he literally would be in people's homes, sometimes involuntarily, like filming. So go rewatch the flower shop scene. I think he's at the apartment across the street inside filming him pull up in his Mercedes. Then he goes in and then the next scene cuts where the girl doesn't recognize him, right? As he walks in. Oh, Johnny didn't recognize you. And from what I also heard, that girl was an actual employee employee of the flower shop. She's not like a real actress. I, I read that. I don't know I how mean, true it is. I mean, her superb acting really got me. <laughs> and yeah. the dog right there. Oh, but, she was dumb. Yeah, <laughs> but I heard he had no idea that you needed a permit to get around it. He was like on people's properties and houses like shooting. <laughs> like, whatever, dude. Like, That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, no. Watch the flower shop. I, I, I don't want to watch that scene ever again. <laughs> Why not? Oh, hi, we Johnny. Didn't recognize you. You'd scene. have to be blind, <laughs> drunk, and stoned to not recognize that <laughs> dude recognize coming at guy. you. Keep the change. How much is it? $18. Okay, here's 20 Keep the change. No, no, no. no, no. You're actually, no, you're putting it in order. Like, that would make more sense, but it's like, oh, it's not that hi, it's not, how much is order. a dozen of red roses? And then he's, and then it was just like, Oh, hi, Johnny. Didn't recognize you. How much is it? That's me. Like, it, it like, doesn't make any sense. Let's watch it right now. No. Right now. No. It would, no, it, it makes sense the way that you're, like, describing it. But anybody watching this movie, that scene to me is when I stop trying to make but sense of But when he movie. pulls up in his, he's driving a white Mercedes, yes. right? Yeah. Watch, I think, because then it cuts to the other on the 180-degree, you know, angle. Yeah. Where he's now coming into the shop. And they're filming this inside the flower shop. But I think if you look across, the, that apartment is really close or building, whatever it is. I think they were shooting out of the window, dude. Like, I'm not, I don't know. I mean, I could it be wouldn't, wrong. It but, wouldn't surprise yeah, me at this point. But, but I, yeah, that's one thing that I did have. Getting into kind of the release of the film, Wiseau offered a free soundtrack uh, CD Jesus to ticket Christ. buyers. Yeah. Do you know what? Okay, I'm sorry. I have to say this. And I this is the immediate thought that I had. And like, Dom, I don't know if you've listened to it. But that original score that they had when they first like have sex reminded me of the 50 shades of gray intro music you are my rose yeah no but the beginning of it like that deep like like it i cringed because it felt like i'm getting ahead of myself but if we're going to talk about soundtrack back me up on this or see if you ever thought this Mm -hmm. the opening scene of all the san francisco they have that one like music going on right 
Tell me you did not have like flashbacks of the Zelda game on exactly. Super Nintendo. I, I was like, he exactly. stole Super Nintendo. Yeah. I wrote I that like in my treasure treasure. We'll get to it then. I just want to make sure that I was like, why is he doing the Legend of Zelda right now? Like, what the fuck? The only like real songs they had were during the sex scenes. I was like, this is so fucking weird. But it's just like every sex scene has a different song. It's like the same dudes too. They're like. Oh, man. Okay, we'll move on. We'll get to that treasure treasure. All right, but yeah, um, so, you know, with the release, uh, Wizo offered free soundtrack CDs for anybody that bought a ticket, and he promoted the film to himself on his own. Yeah, it's like six tracks. Like Six tracks. <laughs> like, can you still same? buy it? You can probably you can. You, you I'm going to look it up right now on iTunes. You can actually find the lyrics on Genius also. Oh, it's It's really weird. But um, he actually uh, promoted the film through a TV and print campaign, uh, and he compared his work to that of Tennessee Williams. Um, you know, we talked about the billboard uh, totaling. He spent about 300000 on it, keeping it up over those five years. Uh, as far as how much the movie made, Wiseau states that he doesn't really know how much the film did at the box office. As far as recouping his finances, he says, quote, I'm an artist. I don't really like to talk about money. You notice that any interview he does whenever uh, his finances come up, uh, it's always something like you said, Jason, he likes to sidestep and dodge the question and everything like that. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) As far as any negative reviews that the room gets, uh, there's a bit in the DVD extras where he says, quote, I think that everybody is entitled to their own opinion. However, if a person, he or she, assumes something and it's not true, that's wrong. Everything that you see and experience viewing the room was done meticulously with meticulous planning and with a lot of preparation. For example, playing football was not an accident. The entire project was not an accident. We prepared a lot of scenes. Preparation for the football scene was very challenging because we used two cameras. You can't even say it with a straight face. Plus, one of the actors has fallen down in the scene, but we conquered our challenge. This movie has more grown men falling on the ground yeah. than any other movie. <laughs> it's it's bad, but um, the movie eventually grew a cult following, and according to Wiseau, he got almost a hundred emails thanking him for the movie. And I know Mugga, you had something about that, right? So I, I read I that you were gonna the, say Mugga emailed. Yeah. <laughs> I did, you guys. I, I, I believe it. I believe it. Um, this guy, Michael, I don't know how to say his last name. Is it Rosalette or? Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. Michael R. Um, he saw it in the first <laughs> Not to two be weeks, with and Chris he R. he actually he saw it like in an empty theater, basically, and then literally got I think a hundred other friends to go watch it again, and because of that, then he called and thanked. Say his name again. Wazoo. Tommy Wazoo. Wazoo. I always, it's weird. Okay, and um, Favreau. Shut up. <laughs> I'll never live that down. But yeah, he, he thanked him and that encouraged uh, Wiseau like, to like, hey, so people actually are liking it and so on. So he agreed to like have like a midnight showing of it after obviously those two weeks. It was a huge success. This is what I read. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. No, you know? I'm just I'm just thinking he's a reverse of anybody else. Like and, he listens to one positive yeah. review and just and, sets and, his But then, then it happened. And I think because of that, that set the whole, and I, I believe, back me up if I'm wrong on this, but every month in LA, they have a midnight showing, right? Yeah. And it's just like, and it still sells out and there's things that happen that you're like, what? It's like rituals like, and everything. Yeah, you know, so, but I, I think that one guy was like responsible for like it. I think taking off on this direction, but yeah. I think I think he went to go see it on the very last day it was in theaters. 
And so it was his first oh, time. And that, oh, and he so he wanted to do the showing with his hundred friends and all that. So what he did oh, was okay. right, he's watching it, and he's like, within the first thirty minutes, he's dying. He's like, I got to let people know. So he starts calling all of his friends to come to the theater to watch it. They watch it three or four times that day. Oh my god! And then that's why he goes to email Tommy, and that's how this thing got paying started. Paying for this movie in theaters four times. <laughs> like, oh my god. <laughs> I, I was reading, there was a couple reviews I was reading. There was one by IFC that was done a few years later that compared Tommy Wiseau, uh, describes him as Borat trying to do an impression of Christopher Walken playing a mental patient. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. And then I guess- We need at, more cowbell. <laughs> at, at, the, uh, at the premiere or during those two weeks, there was a random review left, I guess, on some like cork board or something that says, this film is like being stabbed in the head. <laughs> I couldn't describe it better myself. So I, I heard, sorry to cut you off, Jason, um, about how this film kind of gained traction was it got really popular with UCLA and USC students. So I think that's probably that Mark. I, I don't, yeah. This, Michael I don't guy, know who, Michael, might, Mark, Matt, who Mark knows? Damon? Mark Damon? Damon? Mark Damon? Mark Damon? Mark Damon? Michael R. Michael R. Michael R. Not even <laughs> Not yet. to be confused Michael with Chris R. R, the gangster. Um, but it gained notoriety with USC and UCLA film students and kind of had a little cult following here in LA. And then in 2008, Entertainment Weekly did an article about like celebrities that love this movie, that screen this movie, and then it just gained traction from there. What's interesting about this, if you watch like the Jimmy Kimmel like interviews with the guys that are on Disaster Artists and all that, like mm-hmm. James Franco literally says like, look at like, I love The Revenant, you know, like I've watched that movie a couple times. But like I have nowhere seen it the amount of times I've watched The Room. I've seen this movie more than I've seen any other movie. And I'm like, it's weird how it like really gets to that level. Like I don't get it. Like yeah. I mean, how many times have you I, I this I've only watched it one time and it took me four different segments because I couldn't go all the way through it. But how many times have you guys seen it? I can see how you can watch it multiple times. Like I watched it once just to be like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? And then I watched it, you know. Again, I can see how it's rewatchable. Yeah, so following the the positive response or the cult following that the movie's gotten, Wiseau's basically kind of thrived off the success, you know, becoming a celebrity in his own right. And concerning the movie itself, he still wants to turn it into a play. Um, He wants to actually turn it into a Broadway musical. And he, uh, you know, tearing me apart, Oh yeah, and he wants to he wants to screen the movie at Staples Center one day. Uh, in an interview with Screen Rant, he said that he wants to reshoot the movie in its entirety in 3D for 3D uh, theaters. Reshoot the what? Reshoot the entire movie. Oh, not not. I don't think he wants to do post conversion. I think he wants to shoot it, reshoot it, shot for shot, maybe. Um. <laughs> all right. I'm all right. I'm, I'm trying to take this a little seriously, but there there was an interview with Gawker uh, where Tommy Wiseau says that he believes that his movie has helped lower the American crime rate. Wait, wait what? <laughs> what? He firmly believes that his movie has lowered the American crime rate. I'm sorry, before you even respond, I just wish that this podcast had a visual element so you could see four out of the five faces in the room when you just said that. <laughs> Does he, I, go, I, does he go into depth of why he thinks yeah, that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, there's a... So oh, yeah. Keep going. <laughs> All right. So he says, quote, screening the room midnight eliminated crime in America. Look at how many young people. You've been young. I mean, we still young. Whatever. Go in the street, you know, walking on the street. 
Devin, I swear to God. I want you to do it in the voice. I want you to do it in the voice. Nah, I, I can't. Nah, I can't. Walking on the street. Nah, I can't. I can't mock the guy. I'm not gonna yeah, mock him. I can't hard. do that. That's mean. All right. Screen in the room, midnight, eliminated crime in America. <laughs> Dominic, I swear to fucking God. That's the whole reason I couldn't get through the first one. Oh my God. All right, ready? Ready. Yes, I'm going to try yes, to do yes, this. Yes, yes. All right. So, uh, Wiseau states the following, quote, screening the room midnight eliminated crime in America. Look at how many young people, you've been young, I mean, we still young, whatever, go in the street, you know, walking on the street, nothing to do. Go see the room. Have fun. Let's assume you don't see the room. You don't have the room. You walk on the street. Grab the rock. <laughs> I feel like you can't cut this out. You have to keep going. I, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. <clears throat> I'm going to get through this. I have to. I have to. Because it's know. so stupid. All right, all right, all right. Grab the rock. Okay, ready? Because it's just like the rock or like the rock. Okay, <clears throat> all right. Let's assume you don't see the room, you don't have the room, you walk on the street, grab the rock, and by accident... Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> alright, alright, you know what? You know what, fuck it. Alright, I'm, I'm gonna go for it in one go, ready? Alright, just all do right. it, man. You can do it. Alright. Let's assume you don't see the room, you don't have the room, you walk on the street, grab the rock, and by accident, you hit someone, you know? Accident happen, get him arrested, go to jail, whatever. Instead, you see the room. So high probability crime, high probability. You know what I'm saying? I, I have no idea what just happened. I don't know what just happened right now. Like, I'm more confused. Do you think if you asked him to repeat it right after he could do it? Just say what you said one more time. <laughs> I'm sorry, my tape recorder is off. Can you repeat that, please? No, we're not repeating that. Um, but yeah, um, you know, he he believes that. He has a lot of thoughts, especially in a lot of interviews uh, post-release uh, over the years, and he's done a ton. There's been a lot of conversation about his portrayal of relationships being somewhat jaded, somewhat, uh, in his movies, uh, with women being manipulative and evil and all that other stuff. Um, and you see that in a lot of the dialogue in his movie. Yes. Um, when asked about uh, if this movie is at all autobiographical, um, his typical response in a ton of interviews that I've read was, um, you know, there are many Johnnies in the world. There are many Marks. There are many Lisas. So, you know, this is just a movie about those kinds of people. It's kind of the general response that he gives whenever somebody asks if this is somewhat, you know, about his life or if he's inserting himself into the film in any sort of way. Well, I feel like there's certain parts that are autobiographical, like especially when he talks about like his and Lisa's first date and he brings up super hyper specific examples like she paid for our first dinner. I went to cash a check and it was an out of state check and I couldn't pay for dinner. So I feel like there are certain parts that are so autobiographical that it is a little bit reflective of his own life. And like like you said, we'll get into that a little bit later with the Trash or Treasure, but how he kind of categorizes women and, and how they that how they appear in this film. Yeah, um, I won't get into it too much. I did find a lot more stuff about what you're saying, Holly. But um, for anybody that wants to look that up, uh, there is an interview uh, that he did in 2009 with the AV Club online. Um, and he it's just paragraphs upon paragraphs about, um, I guess, his perception of women and their role in society. Um, he speaks about gender equality and what he thinks are steps that women should take to achieve that. 
Um, okay, I have to ask you just like Cliff Notes version. Is it anything <coughs> of substance or is it basically just like a chauvinistic way to look at women's equality? Uh, he, oh boy, I'm gonna, all right. You had to go there. Everything, no, no, no. No, no, I think, I think, I think we need to go there because I mean, it's, it's just in your face this, no, this I'm entire say, movie. This was, and this, yeah. this is why I'm prefacing this. This movie was what? 2003. 2003. I believe that the people have capacity to, when they know better, they do better. And you through experience and through things like this where you have, although a limited platform, like you have the ability to learn and the ability to grow. But if you did this interview in what, 2015? Uh, this interview was 2009. 2009, okay, so so I, I just, I wanna know if he's sharpened his All right. skills <laughs> Sorry. here. I'm gonna, give you, I'm gonna give you the Cliff Notes version. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try the to skim through this. The subtext of yeah. the text, if you will. All right, so um, what he's saying is that Johnny, uh, his character is essentially blind and he's, naive he's in a stage of denial not knowing that he's with somebody who's manipulative every character kind of is in this movie um the lesson that he wanted to show was that everybody needs to kind of open their eyes to situations outside of themselves and be good to each other which is a nice message to send i don't think you know the execution was great but that is a nice message to send i guess if you want to if you want to you know simplify it yeah, and then regarding um, you know women in his film, specifically Lisa and her mother being manipulative, what he says what he says about women being manipulative is that there's this message in society that, and I'm gonna try I'm gonna try to give you guys a, a slimmer version of this. He says that women in society should kind of use I don't want to say inherent, but manipulation or their manipulative nature to their advantage. Um, at one point in the interview, he says, oh, why do you wear jeans? This is what he's saying to a girl that he allegedly went to school with, I think in Oakland or New Orleans. He says, why do you try to wear jeans? In a dress, you'd be looking better. To which the female responded, no, we want to be equal. And Tommy says, quote, okay, you are equal, but you don't understand what you're missing because you'd have so much more power. That's the idea behind it. And I think what he's getting at is encouraging women to use their sexuality in order to manipulate whatever systems they're in. That's that's coming straight from Tommy Wiseau. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of his speech is kind of jumbled here and there, but that is kind of what I got from it. Um, I think what he's getting at is that yes, women are equal or making strides to become equal in society uh, as far as gender equality. But what he's saying, I guess, is that. He would prefer it if they still use their sexuality to get ahead. Right. I, I think the subtext of that text is yeah. just like, oh, if you're pretty, you should you should leverage being pretty. Or yeah. if you have nice legs, you should wear dresses just to appease the men around you. Yeah. So yeah, to it's, gain leverage in situations, you should use your sexuality. Yeah, it's a it's Great. a very it's a very long interview that he, that he uh, basically just gives. backs himself into a corner with being a chauvinist. Probably. Yeah, okay. like he he starts off with some good ideas, but he quickly reveals kind of you know his kind of backwards way of thinking during the interview. Right. There's a ton of interviews out there. I encourage you guys to go ahead and try to read them. So there's also a 2016 documentary about the room called A Room Full of Spoons, and it's done by Canadian documentary maker Rick Harper. This is a documentary that Tommy Wiseau was actually involved in um, at the very beginning. According to an interview with uh, The Hollywood Reporter, uh, Wiseau was initially on board with the documentary, and then for whatever reason, he just turned on the production. 
Harper says that Wiseau had a ton of demands while he was making the documentary, like, quote, make the documentary 60% more positive, end quote, and wanted it crafted in such a way that the documentary would have just ended up being a promotional video for The Room. Uh, the director, the maker, Harper, disagreed, so Tommy left. Uh, despite Tommy not being around, Harper pressed on, interviewing cast and crew, and uh, essentially ended up investigating Wiseau's background, finding out that he was from Poland. So oh. this is the guy that found uh, most of that information out. Wiseau went so far as threatening legal action against any festival or theater that was going to screen that documentary. He also posted a series of videos on YouTube in an effort to discredit the filmmakers, and he also increased his licensing fees to prevent uh, Harper from using any of the footage in his movie. Wiseau filed an injunction preventing the documentary from being distributed as well. In late 2017, though, the injunction against the documentary makers was tossed out by Judge Marcus uh, Conan of Canada. And here are some quotes uh, that I pulled from a rap article. From the rap, this is what the judge said. Quote, Basically, the Ontario court is allowing the third-party documentary to be released because there's no way it could possibly mark Wiseau more than the original source material and its <laughs> fan base do. Although Mr. Wiseau complained in his affidavit that the documentary mocks, derides, and disparages him and The Room, he did not disclose that The Room's fame rests on its apparently abysmal quality as a movie. And this is what the judge is saying. People flock to see The Room because it is so bad. People see the movie for the very purpose of mocking it, a phenomenon that has won the movie its cult status. It's precisely because the room is so bad that it's acquired its cult status. People come not to admire it, but to mock it. They dress up in character costumes, they mimic lines from the script, and they throw objects at the screen to highlight its bizarre character. The documentary's title, Room Full of Spoons, provides an apt example. The title derives from a scene in the room at which audience members shout, spoon, and begin throwing plastic spoons at the screen. The audience reaction is prompted by a scene in the movie in which a side table displays a store-bought picture frame with its stock photo still in the frame, a photograph of a spoon. And the judge, this is real. And the judge finishes by saying, a more sophisticated filmmaker might have replaced the photograph with something having more relevance to the movie. So, I'm, I like as much as we shit on Canada. Canada's amazing for that. Yeah, he got he got the business from that judge. So, um, I I don't know about the status of that film now. I know there was a Kickstarter for it, um, on YouTube, but I have no idea if that that documentary has been released at all. But yeah, the judge basically said you can't shit on this movie more than it's already been shit on with its creation. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Other than that, you know, we had a uh, Greg Sestero. Uh, he went on to write a book, you know, with Tom Bissell titled The Disaster Artist, mm-hmm. um, My Life Inside the Room, the greatest bad movie ever made. In the book, he goes over the making of the room, uh, his uh, early struggles in it as an actor and his friendship with Tommy Wiseau. Eventually, that book got uh, a film adaptation starring James and David Franco with uh, James Franco directing and producing, and that movie was released in 2017. So he started it, directed it, and produced it? It just mirrors I was going to say, I was like, thing. I didn't know all that, but yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Did you know there's 32 shots in the movie that have spoons? 32? That's yeah. a lot of spoons that people are throwing then. Yeah. Damn. Well, there were, no, the fun fact, yeah, the here. fun fact behind that is that they were shooting that scene, you know, when they're eating pizza and drinking vodka, like straight, even though he doesn't drink. Oh, that was vodka and whiskey. Yeah, together. it was vodka and whiskey. I, I like no the guy idea. doesn't drink, and she pours him probably the worst drink you could ever <laughs> pour someone who doesn't drink. You don't drink. talk about vodka like that. 
Um, but no, so they were shooting it and they were doing like close-ups on Tommy and there was nothing on the side table and it just looked really bare. And I guess the, um, I don't know what the technical term for him is, but like the assistant director at that time was like, we can shoot it in my house. Like it's decorated. We won't have these empty spaces. But he was like, no, go out, get some set decoration. And so I guess they just had stock photos that they put on the side table just to make it look fuller. And that's where this whole spoon thing came to be. Don't, have you ever been to a minute showing? No, but no. I, w- I would love to go. We so have like, to go as we, this. Go, we, we should we're all go. You gotta taking, throw spoons, right? We're basically I mean, taking I heard like a, a big blood pack. And you yell it out, and you throw spoons yeah. at. Oh yes. my god! So we're basically taking a blood pack by doing this podcast that we're gonna go together <laughs> and see <laughs> a minute I heard, showing. I heard they also take footballs and they do just short passes they to each other. They play in the aisle. Yeah. <laughs> Not well, long passes, just short passes to each other. So I also read that there's a scene where he's on the staircase and it's like when he's listening to Lisa and her mom talk about the infidelity yes. and he had botched that line so many times and they had like literally like you can see his eyes moving that he's reading the big note card paper but he like waves and almost breaks that fourth wall and I guess people like get below the screen you can't see me what I'm doing but they like crouch to the screen and they wave back to him because he was trying to say oh, like, they're he, like Johnny I'm over land. here yeah no no yeah. so he like waves like down at the camera and then they like stand where he's waving and they wave back to him that could be us, you guys. Yeah, we're going. We have that to. could be us. We're we're like an hour away. We have no excuse. Right. We have to go. Wow. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> think about. It. So let's get into our experience with this film, Holly. Why don't you tell us your experience with the room? I had never heard of the room, despite being born and raised in Southern California. Um, it came to my attention during award season when James Franco was nominated for the Golden Globe for the Disaster Artist and kind of was doing the awards circuit with Tommy Wiseau, and he looked like a vampire in real life. It's interesting you say they look like a vampire. I know, <laughs> I know. Isn't that, isn't that some, some, some hint of what's to come? Um, but I'll never forget when James Franco actually won the Golden Globe, and Tommy went on stage with him, and James Franco was like, thank you so much, yada, 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 and Tommy went to say something, and James Franco was like, nope, and like <laughs> basically gave him a, what do you call it? Stiff arm. Yeah, he stiff-armed him. And was basically like, nope. Because football is fun. <laughs> football is fun. Uh, coming full circle here, guys. Football is fun. But he, I think he just knew what bullshit was about to come out of Tommy Wiseau's mouth. Um, so then I found out that you guys wanted to do this for the podcast. And I watched The Disaster Artist on Amazon. And I... So you watched Disaster Artist first, because that's yeah. a big deal. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then I started reading the book. And then I finally watched The Room. And... I would like to say it all made sense, but it didn't. We have to commend her because she's the, she's the only one that did all three. The Zass yeah. Artist, The Room, yeah. and The Book, right? Yeah. Because none of us read the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's the only reason you guys keep me on this podcast is because I can read. So C. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's my... Ex- I mean, that's... Stop. <laughs> that's That's my experience with The Room. All right, Jason, what's your experience? So I remember hearing about the disaster artist and how good it was. And I think I was talking to Kerwin about it and he, he mentioned the room and that there's this other movie that that movie's based on. And then, like I said earlier, I was listening to Howard Stern and how Tommy Wiseau and James Franco were actually on the show. And when they're describing when Tommy Wiseau walks in wearing three different belts at the same time, he has his sunglasses on. Wasn't it because it made his ass look good or something? It's something like that it yeah. accentuates his ass, yeah. And then he has his Wiseau underwear hanging out. And just listening to the interview go down, I'm like, all right, I got to watch The Disaster Artist now. So I, I watched The Disaster Artist. Um, I think I watched it on Amazon, so it was a while after it came out. I really liked it, but I didn't really know where to 
find the room. Like I didn't know where you could stream it or anything like that. I, I didn't really go on Amazon to look for it. Um, so, you know, you guys brought it up trying to do this movie for the podcast. So I finally watched it and, uh, it was a movie. It was painful. And uh, I feel like a, a few times I feel like I was uh, watching like a Beverly Hills bordello that you would see like on Cinemax at like midnight. It something like that. She probably had better acting and chemistry. It could have right? totally passed off as like a soft porn. Like, you know, the first 30 yeah. minutes of it, there's legitimately. Yeah. And I'm like, again? I think there's more sex scenes in this movie than there are Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. Yeah. Like literally. Like, yeah. I Whatever. feel like there's more sex scenes in this movie than there are in those little Cinemax films too. And it's just like... <laughs> Just the music and everything like that. It's, it's a creepier a, level than yeah. those shows are. And I don't know what it is, but just the first 30 minutes, I was like, is this is this the entire movie? And it finally breaks after a while. But yeah, that, that was my experience. I thought that was going to be the it. whole movie at first. I was like, this is this is legitimately a softcore porn that Kerwin yeah. had me watch. Yeah, well, you guys are better for it. Dominic, <laughs> Dominic, what's your experience with The Room? Uh, I heard about The Room from like friends. They told me like, oh, you should watch this, but I never really did. I heard about it, but I started developing interest as soon as I heard like James Franco and uh, Seth Rogen were doing like an adaptation of the movie. And so in preparation for that, I just started watching like a bunch of clips on like The Room and stuff like that and like the best scenes and like the, like the reviews and stuff like that. And then I actually saw Disaster Artist first, technically. Even though, I, like, majority of the YouTube clips that I've seen were, like, majority of, like, all the bad parts of the room. But after I saw Disaster Artist, I was like, okay, I have to watch it. So that was my experience after seeing the the room. I was still I was still amazed at how, like, spot on, like, the Disaster Artist was. As far as, like, recreating, like, the scenes and, like, James Franco's performance and, like, imitating him. And- Dom, I have to ask, like, of the best scenes that they put on YouTube, like... I say best very loosely here, but what did they, what were they? Uh, it was uh, definitely the, uh, was it Denny getting mugged? Oh, um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the sex scenes that were uh, basically the same thing, but <laughs> I guess he used like different footage that he didn't use the first time. The rooftop scene where he's like, I, you know, I did not hear her. I did not. <laughs> oh, oh, hi, hi Mark. <laughs> that hi, was Mark. on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else was on The, the the flower shop scene it's like oh i didn't see you there johnny like all all those were in there all the great moments that you would not how much is great, it very that's loosely. me yeah 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 you know very loosely you know put but yeah all those scenes were in there and as far as the best scenes but that was my experience and i've seen it a couple of times before Mugga, what's your experience with the room before i get to my experience kermit did you watch the room first or the disaster artist I saw the room first. See, that's how I was because I thought I was the only one here. So you had talked about this movie being like, hey, it's the best worst movie ever made. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to watch that. It was just a cult following. Never heard of the disaster artist. Then you wanted to review it. I'm like, okay, we got to do this now. So I watched it on my phone, right? You know, and it took me four different take. I had to cut it off. A couple, I was like, I can't keep going, you know. And it was so bad for me at first because I'm like, what the hell is going on? One time I'm trying to do research for this movie and I have my phone out as I'm kind of watching it, you know, and it's one of the sex scenes, you know, with that saxophone music going mm-hmm. on and Austin, while well, my roommate is walking by, goes, what the fuck are you watching? And it was the <laughs> most embarrassing moment point. like I've ever had, you know, like it was like, it was really bad, but it took me like four different, I couldn't do it all at once. I could not do it. And I was like, wow, how can we like really review this movie? What are we doing? But then I wanted to watch the disaster artist. So I literally, Immediately after I finished this, watch The Disaster Artist. It changes your perception about it a little bit because I really like The Disaster Artist, you know? And it's like, then you start doing research. But yeah, I mean, it was, 
it was tough for a while. I'm not gonna. Yeah. All right. Whatever. I had no interest in watching the room. Like aside from like hearing like James Franco. Yeah. And stuff like that. I was like, okay. But I, I literally watched it on my phone. <laughs> that's yeah, all. Yeah. That's how I had to watch it. But I I watched the room first, then I watched Disaster Artist. Yeah. Did you like it better after watching the Disaster Artist? I, I'm ashamed to say it, but yeah. I was gonna <laughs> like, say, I don't, like, what are you ashamed of? <laughs> Come on, man. I feel, no, I feel like effect. watching... Like, You're tearing me apart, yeah. Lisa. I feel like watching The Disaster Artist first, I had a little... Probably, if I would have watched The Room first, I would have been like, what the yeah. that, Well, that's fuck, what I was. Dude. I really was like, hey, I'll well, sit this one out. that's why it took you four yeah. times to watch it as well. Four times. Like, it's only an hour and like 38 minutes, I yeah. believe. But like I, I was like camp, and I had to like get away from it. I, I, it, I just could not. I feel. Yeah, I, I feel didn't know like, where it was going. I was like, this is horrendous. I, I could not. Yeah, I feel like watching the disaster artist. So you had to leave the room. <laughs> yes, I see what you did there first. Well, one I feel of the like night. it braces you for impact when you watch yeah. a disaster artist first. I have to recommend if you have never seen the room or disaster artist. I think you have to watch it in that order though, so you understand. I mean. Yeah. I don't know. What do you guys think? Before I, think, I know, I hate to say this before Kerwin's about to say it, but do you watch Disaster Artist first, yeah. or do you you do? I think you watch that first. It helps I the movie just, out, I but like it, you don't it, really get the room experience. I think the Disaster Artist pads you for a really, really hard landing. Yeah. yeah. All right, Kerwin, what was your experience? Yeah, Kerwin, what was your experience? Uh, so like uh, Holly mentioned, uh, you know, how did this get made? Like yeah. I, I've been listening to that podcast for a long time and Love I think the room was one, a uh, shout out Paul, Jason, June, um, Jason, especially Jason's dope. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think they did an episode on the room in 2014 or 15. I can't yeah. remember what year, but I remember listening to the podcast and they were talking about, yo, this is the worst movie ever made this and that. Cause it's a podcast where they specifically review poorly rated movies you know and they, Conner, you'd yeah. be happy to know that mugga. they also did uh what they did who cares anyway but um, no, they do movies like burlesque they do movies like like legitimately how did this movie get made when they it was did terrible. rad yeah they I did love. rad i listened to that one yeah. yeah so they did a ton of movies but um yeah um so after that i listened to the episode i thought it was hilarious i never ended up watching the movie i did see a couple of clips kind of like dominic did on youtube uh over the years but it wasn't until um you know they kind of announced that James Franco, Seth Rogen were thinking about producing a uh, adaptation of the book that um, Greg Sestero wrote. Um, that's when I said, you know what, maybe I should watch this. So I think maybe like two or three years ago, um, before Disaster Artist came out, um, I managed to find a copy, um, and then I actually watched it, and I, I watched it the first time, and I was just like, yo, what the fuck did I just watch? And immediately after I finished watching it. I press play a second time. You're lying. I, and I, I'm you dead serious. Lying. I'm dead serious. I I watched the room the very first time. I watched it and immediately after in it ended entirety. in and its entirety, again. and I press play again. Can and I, I ask why? I I was fascinated. I was. I fa- think he was just trying to make sense of what he just experienced. No, it's just like because like I listened to I listened to the podcast on it, so I kind of knew what I was getting into. Yeah. I just I just didn't have any proper visual understanding of what I was gonna see. I just heard people talk about it. So when I watched it, I was like, oh, I remember this. I remember they talked about this. I remember they talked about this. And so I watched through the movie and I was like, what the hell? Like that, you know, no offense to how did this get made, but that podcast didn't do this movie any justice. This is fucking amazing. And I immediately had to watch it again. Like I had to watch it again. It's It was, it was that bad. I really bad. wish this video because all of our heads are like, not mine. The, I kind of get it. After I finished it, I could not get off YouTube fast enough. I was like, I just need to sit down and just think You're about what I just did. To right no, no, I, dude, I'm dead serious. Like I'm de- <laughs> like I told Dominic about this. Like when I first watched the room, I wa- I think I, I think I was like 
well, didn't I send you this on IG like when I was watching it? Yeah. yeah like I was like, yo, like I, this is my first because he he had seen it, I think, before me, I think. And he's like, oh, you're watching The Room. And I was like, yeah. And when I was done, I was like, yo, I got to watch this again. So I ended up watching The, the Room back to back. the last feeling that I had watching that movie. Well, we're different people. But I, I, I watched that movie back to back the very first time. How many times have you seen this movie? I've, uh, as of this morning, I've seen the movie five times. Okay. Yeah, I've seen this movie five times as of this morning. I watched it the fifth time for this podcast. Um, I saw The Disaster Artist in theaters. I think you and I yeah, went. Yeah. yeah, Dominic and I went to go see it. Uh, the night that it opened or preview night or whatever. Um, so that was cool. But yeah, you know, that's, that's my experience with the room. I, you know, I just, as somebody that likes movies a lot, I, I just get fascinated by kind of, I think Holly, you brought this up earlier and we'll get into this in trash and treasure, but I think just seeing somebody who's clearly not from the United States mm-hmm. kind of express or deliver to us what they feel the quintessential American drama is 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 like a fascinating thing and you pick apart the mistakes and you pick apart the tropes and all that other stuff but mm-hmm. I, i'll get into that in trash or treasure I think, yeah. I think the best analogy that i ever heard about the room is they compared it like they said the room is to cinema as rebecca black's friday is to music mm. can i ask a question yeah so if you had never heard a podcast about this movie or done research or whatnot like you literally like, hey you saw the billboard. I want to watch the movie. Would your opinion have changed, or is it you had embraced yourself what was about to happen, and then, or and I'm I'm just I'm curious. Well, I mean, I'm not somebody that actively goes out to watch bad movies because right. bad movies but irritate you do me. Love glitter with Mariah Carey. I, they did that one too. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it's your favorite um, movie. yeah, but kind of kind of listening to that podcast episode and knowing based on um, what they had said that it has that reputation. When I found out through like different movie news websites or whatever other podcasts that they were going to adapt it, I was like, oh shit, like maybe I should actually like watch this. So like, I, I don't know, it was like 2016 or 2017 or whatever. That's when I watched it. And then I was like, yo, like this is crazy. And the other thing too, I was, I was hyped because I was like, yo, like they're actually going to make a movie about this. Yeah. So I, I wanted to watch it again. Like before I got into it, I already knew about the cult following. I already knew that they did shows in Hollywood. I'd already known that this movie was a big deal and had some sort of significance because it was so bad. So I, I was prepared for the worst and it's it's bad, but I was just fascinated by it. Not because of I'm the, interested the, to hear your rating later. Yeah, like not not the the movie itself isn't the movie itself is bad, yeah. but as a piece itself and as a commentary on film or whatever, it fascinates me. But I'll save all that for Trash or right, Treasure. Cool. Yeah. Um speaking of Trash or Treasure, Holly. What's uh, your trash or treasure with this movie? So I'm going to get started with my trash. And I think that we can all agree that there are a lot of inconsistencies in this movie. So namely, the ones that I wrote down, four that just really kind of made me question. And one of them is, is Mark and his weed smoking, even though he's a grown ass man and he has to go up to the roof to smoke weed. I found that interesting because you think that he would do it in the privacy of his own apartment. He's in the Bay Area. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rio. But there was there was there was something that I read online that even even Greg Sister like put in the book like he wanted Mark to have a little bit of backstory that he was like like a undercover cop and that's why in the beginning when Lisa calls him, he's like I'm busy. I'm like he was supposed to be on a stakeout. Like it made more sense to Greg Sister to do that. 
Um, and that's why he has that, like, if he was to get searched, the weed wouldn't be in his apartment. It would be tucked up on the roof, which made more sense to me than what was actually presented. So I had to, like, make sense of that myself outside. I kind of wish they would have did that, like, given some kind of exposition, some backstory, because then but it would have made more sense. Yeah. And then they talk about that would have made more sense. There's going to be a lot of I wish they would have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I mean, sorry. I'm sorry. But. No, I think the whole movie in general, just, just like, there are things that are sad and um, another inconsistency I had was I felt like seemingly with no plot explanation, Lisa fell out of love with Johnny and fell in love with Mark. Cause one minute she's kicking Denny out of the bed and madly in love with this man. And then seemingly after they're done with their third sex scene in 20 minutes, um, she looks over at him and he's asleep. And I felt like in that moment it was done. That that was the only problem that I saw to their relationship. When she's seducing Mark, this is another inconsistency. Um, I think he says something like fancy dress, sexy music, and there's no music playing. Yeah, there's no music. No music playing. Actually, I think it's like creepy ass like background. No, there's music. no music. No, it's the score that's playing, but there's no music on the actual yeah, like right. In the like setting. it's there, yeah. but he's like sexy music, like, like to be seduced, and I'm like the sound of silence is is sexy music to him. The score gives off like I'm gonna kill you vibes. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> so does the movie poster. So yeah, I guess yeah, it yeah. all it all kind of makes sense. Um, another one that really bothered me was the recording. Like, so he plays back the conversation that Lisa and Mark just had. And it was like, sure, baby, come on up. I want your body. And like, he says it in that tone. And then he plays back the tape. It doesn't even match. Like literally what was just said on the phone. So that was another inconsistency that bothered me. Um, one that I want to note is him pleasuring himself with her dress at the end of it. Before he kills himself? Before he kills himself. So Makes I think sense. that's like the the weirdest downfall of a character. You go to m- masturbating yourself with a dress to killing yourself. Although, all right. I just like how they depicted it in Disaster Artists. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's just like, I'm a character. <laughs> I... What the fuck are you doing? Right. It didn't make sense. <laughs> the director's like, cut. <laughs> um, so we kind of talked it earlier. I wrote down Cinemax vibe at the beginning. Um, was a trash that I had. And kind of reading the behind the scenes from the disaster artist, I just felt so empathetic for the character that played Lisa. Um, Because Greg Cicero says, it started to feel like Tommy didn't want the love scene shooting process to end. He delayed things for no reason and stayed naked far longer than necessary. Like in parentheses, when Tommy wearing a towel watched some playbacks with Todd Barron, he pointed at himself in the monitor and said, look at all those muscles. He made no secret of the fact he was enjoying his physical contact with Juliet, who was obviously suffering between takes. In the end, Tommy was so pleased with the footage he shot of the love scene, he felt compelled to use it all in the final film, even going so far as to add an additional Johnny Lisa love scene using recycled footage. Tommy assumed this would go unnoticed by the audience. It did not. So I feel like he he opened the set and kind of put this character, who is Lisa, in this really just bad position and kind of reading the backstory on her, I just immediately felt bad for her because Greg Cicero says the first time I met Juliet, I thought this is an incredibly sweet person who's going through a tough, tough time. It was an accurate impression. She recently moved to Los Angeles from Texas and was essentially supporting her entire family. She had put her regular day job on hold to do the room. Juliet believed that the room for which she was paid a pittance was her one shot at making some real money down the line. 
Has, okay, financially, has she done well after this? Or I mean, is she getting royalties? I don't. I, I, don't I know. have no idea. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't really do any research, but I just. It's kind of one of those things where somebody uses leverage in a situation when they know that somebody's yeah. down on their luck and they can. And I think what we talked about earlier of her volunteering to be Lisa and like putting up with Tommy's antics, because he made no secret that he liked making out with her and prolonged their love scenes and like opened up their thing because he wanted people to see him, see his muscles. And I think um, this leads into what we spoke about earlier as far as uh, his view of women in oh, modern this, this society. Is, this is going to my next trash. So yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Way. Yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, this is this is kind of my final trash, and I, I feel like this is a position I take a lot, but I feel like this movie does a really unfortunate job of portraying women that, you know, all we do is sit around, shop, drink wine, gossip, plot men's demises, which we do, I mean, but... To an extent, but it's... <laughs> Finally admitted. All right. <laughs> we have evidence. Yeah, but Greg Sestero, he basically was just like, this is what Tommy's female characters have no inner dimension at all. They're idealized, but half-heartedly. From Tommy's artistic perspective, a woman is someone who is supposed to be on the couch when a man gets home, someone who's supposed to know to order a man a pizza when he's had a bad day, someone who's been trained to regard a dozen roses as a gift of universe-exploding significance. And that's kind of what the movie does for women. You can see the scenes between her and her mom or her and her friends, just as the most vapid, shallow conversation as if there's nothing else to do besides plan the demise well, of... I'll get into my trash too, but I also agree. The mom is just... Oh, she's a treasure for me. The villain of the movie. She's I mean, a treasure for oh. me. I just think the way that... And, and, and reading kind of his backstory on how he views women, it's... You know, to, to claim to be born in the U.S. And, and have those views, it's just kind of baffling to me. And I don't want to get too much into that and get on some type of pedestal about it. But yeah, I, I just think it's, it's evident throughout the movie how he feels about women, how he feels about women's roles in a relationship. And if you buy her a car and take care of her, which is kind of what the, the position that the mom perpetuates. Like he does all these things for you. He takes care of you. He gives you financial security. Like that's what it's about. And I feel like as a result, Johnny and in turn, Tommy feels like he's the only blameless character. He's doing everything that he's supposed to do. He's providing for a woman. He's making her happy. He's buying her roses. And in turn, she... He would do anything for his princess. His princess, my princess. <laughs> but I think even Greg says it in the movie too. Women are either too... What is the line? They're too smart or they're too stupid. And other times they're just flat out evil. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just interesting and you can kind of see like undertones throughout the movie. My treasure in this movie, I'll, I'll keep it brief. Chris R's character was a, uh, a gangster for me. He was, uh, even behind the scenes, I think he held Tommy responsible for his boots. He stood up for himself. He wasn't originally an actor, according to the Disaster Artist book, but he was a method actor. So I guess between takes was just like cursing up a storm to kind of keep in character and he actually legitimately scared people on set because they thought he was a monster. And I liked in The Disaster Artist, he was played by Zac Efron. And then my other treasure, as much as I hate to say this, it was the mom. Like, I would have loved to see a movie about the people that the mom was bitching about. Like, her brother, like, all these things that were happening. She had literally everything wrong because she was the only one subscribing to the ideology that Tommy was a good guy and that was the only purpose that she served was kind of the character exposition of like he pays for your he's a great man he's a great provider but she was so off the wall crazy this is a treasure for you that you liked it she was so she was just she was the most out there character to me and I was like you know what this whole movie is improbable but 
I don't know, the scene when they're on the roof and they're talking to Denny about the drugs and it's like Lisa and the mom there. After they just arrested the guy, somehow took him to the yeah. cop station, right? Some, with no some, cops. Yeah, <laughs> somehow. But then it's like Lisa and the mom like saying the same thing over and over and just repeating and yelling yeah. and it's like... No, Denny isn't, was saying the same thing too. He's like, it doesn't it, matter. Like, isn't that what women do? Just yell at you and repeat the same thing? Yeah. No comment. <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, in Tommy Wiseau's world, in the whole movie, it's just like they're gossipy queens. But I just thought that, I, like, she she was given, she made the best of, like, a, a shit salad. And I think she was hilarious. And even in The Death Starter, she's like, we never once mentioned breast cancer again. Well, there there's a part where the mom says, I'm glad you're listening, Lisa. <laughs> nobody listens to me. And then Lisa says, you're probably right about that, mom. Just, just nobody, nobody <laughs> cares ridiculous. what she has to and say. My, no, but another, another, another treasure. The thing that I just like didn't understand and the thing that I stopped trying to understand was people's sense of time. Like people would come over and they would be like, hey, I need to talk to, to Tommy. Oh yeah, he'll be home in just a second. I don't have time. I'll talk to him later. Like would just leave. And like people would be like, like Greg answers the phone. Like I don't have time right now. When he, when Lisa first takes his call, it, it, it this whole movie is just, I mean, I'm I, the mom. I'm trying to make the best of this. She's vicious. I'm trying to make the best. Oh, there's, there's a part where Denny goes to the house and Lisa opens the door. I don't have time right now, but he wants something to drink. And it's like, <laughs> I thought, I thought you just said right. you don't have any time. Right. Now. right. <laughs> I mean, but that just goes into the inconsistencies. It's just, it's ridiculous. Like, what's new with you? And then it's just like, I gotta leave. And again, another treasure for me is how many times they ask, who do you think you are? Or who the hell do you think you are? Denny is a trash too, but that's it. Yeah. Jason, what's your trashy treasure for the room? Kind of like Holly, I have a lot of trashes. (laughs) I'll start with the music. Did not like it at all. Did it not remind you of Fifty Shades of Grey, the podcast? Uh, uh, Even if this is even possible, a shittier version of that. Mm. That's what the music reminded me of. It's just awful. Denny, from the beginning, just creeps me the fuck out. (laughs) And they're trying to go upstairs. And he's he's like, no, we're going upstairs. And then it's like all of a sudden. He's there. He's there. (laughs) And he makes like watching you guys. And he's like, I like like to watch. I have a quote for you right, about this. So Sandy, the guy who was like the assistant director at the time, referred to Denny as the weirdest character I'd ever encountered in 25 years of filmmaking. During the making of The Room, Tommy demanded that Philip Haldeman, who played Denny, enter some scenes singing his lines and asked him to cry hysterically when Juliet yelled, what kind of drugs? And made him lingeringly eat an apple early in the film because Tommy explains this was very sexual symbol. As they were going up the stairs to have sex and he's eating the apple. Right. That was the creepiest thing. Yeah, and so I've Tommy, watched Silence of the Lambs with Hannibal Lecter eating an apple, watching him go up the stairs. Tommy Tommy Wiseau explains this was a very sexual symbol. <sighs> Given the nature of the character, Philip Haldeman was asked to play a man-child peeping Tom neighbor who has no purpose in the story other than to ambiguously propose a threesome and be saved from a drug dealer. He did it about as well as any young actor could have. And yeah. that's according to Greg Sestero, author of The Disaster Artist. Well, I, just, I don't like Denny at all. Yeah. He's a creep, dude. There, there's a part. Denny there's, is just a weird name. There, there's a, well, I kept thinking it was Danny at first, and I'm like, I don't know, it's yeah. Denny. And then there's like a... His accent was just like making it sound... Yeah, every time Tommy said Denny, it sounded like Danny. It just took me a while. But there's another part where Denny comes over... And I, it might have been after the drug thing, I forget. But then he comes in and there's other people in the room and then all of a sudden he just sits down behind a chair against the window on the ground in the apartment. It's like, everyone <laughs> else just, makes sense. No. And then it's like, 
I want to say he sits for less than 30 seconds and then he just gets right back up and he leaves. And I'm like, yeah, Danny, I hate you even more. Um, well, how about the scene where he like professes his love for Lisa and then 20 seconds later is like, but I love this other girl. Yeah. 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 No, the weirdest one was when he's like, uh, he comes in and talks to Lisa and he's like, oh, nice dress. Can I kiss you? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is going on? Shoot here? your shot, 2019. Yeah. Um, so of course the sex scenes are just cringeworthy, uh, and too long. The, 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 you, you, you got got really upset about 50 shades because there was too much man ass, man ass. How do you feel about the man ass in this movie? (laughs) The physique. Tommy Wiseau has a decent physique though. What? (laughs) It was better than I anticipated it to be. No, I think, I think the best, I was going to say the best descriptor I ever heard about Tommy Wiseau's physique is that he looks like an action figure who is put in the microwave for 10 seconds. Oh. You're tearing me apart, Holly. <laughs> That's Why do you do this to apart, me? Apart from the manas, the sex scenes don't really make sense either. He's fucking a Ana- belly button. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah. Anatomically, they don't make they sense. They don't make sense. Um, but you know, you said something in the kitchen that made me laugh. Like, oh, where they're, he's on top of her, but their legs are... Oh, it's Mark and Lisa? Whether on the staircase boning? Yeah. No, yeah. no, 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 he's talking about he's talking about intertwined legs. Intertwined legs. Oh, so yeah. it's like it doesn't make any sense. So PS that know. that Mark and Lisa one, I guess he refused to be naked on set. So he he did that whole scene in jeans, right? Yeah, he didn't want to yeah. take his pants yeah. off. Yeah. The the moaning too, that's like <laughs> over top. Dubbed, yeah. Oh my god. Um, we were laughing about that because it was like, bro, she's just kissing your neck. Like, yeah. The, they're like the guys moaning, the women's moaning. It, it's 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 bad. No, but it's not even like that. It's like a uh, like a deep. Yeah, Lisa. Yeah. Guttural. Yes. Yeah. Guttural. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. Oh Lisa. Oh Lisa is the moan I have. Yeah. Um. What else? Uh. The Mona Lisa. There's a part in one of the sex scenes where I. I think Lisa's hand is about to creep down Marks the out. pants. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, whoa, 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 where's this going? <laughs> Were I'm you just, ready for it? I, no, I was not. It's 2019, bro. <laughs> this is not in 2019. <laughs> They're ahead of their time. I'm just saying, another, okay, I forgot to mention this, but her nails are always done in this movie. Is that a trash or a treasure? No, that's a treasure. <laughs> Even though she's like in this, she's like recluse in this apartment the whole time, her nails are always on fleek. Like, I'm impressed. And then I just don't like just the constant mood shifts. They do repeat a lot of lines like, oh, hi, or I don't want to talk about it. Um, they yeah. repeat a lot of those lines, but just... Don't new- worry about it. Yeah, don't worry about it. That's another one. Talk about it. I don't want to talk. Oh my god! Don't worry about it. It's like the most critical moments. Like, oh, I have breast cancer. Oh, don't worry about it. (laughs) You're not dying, mom. What? But then it's weird because Lisa will say, "I don't want to talk about it," but then goes on to talk about it too, and it's just like, well, clearly you do want to talk about it because you keep doing it. So I mean, and then the mood, like I said, just the mood shifts, like constantly, um, like with Mark on the roof, and then uh, with, with Peter, just it just goes from one extreme to another. I didn't like that. I'll, I'll yeah. leave that as my my trashes, my treasures. Um, <laughs> He's got like a whole page. So the of tre- the treasures are the really, lights are like three little bullet points. <laughs> the tre- the treasures aren't really like treasures, but it's stuff that made me laugh when I was watching the movie. Um, <laughs> the instant regret that Mark has after having sex with Lisa the first time. Why did you make me do this? Yeah. I just I I was laughing at that and I was like, huh. Uh, 
I don't know. Tell me why Zoe's laugh every time. Every time he laughed, I was laughing. <laughs> His ill-placed laughter. I love I lo- my princess. <laughs> One of the weirdest ones, and I, I'm so sorry. I've only watched it once, so there's two people I don't know the names of, mm-hmm. but it's the one, the the couple with the books in the apartment. Oh, Michelle, oh, Michelle and-, and Mike. Michelle and Mike. So uh, they're about to have sex, or you know, it's, it's getting hot and heavy, and heavy petting. What was the point of that scene? I didn't understand it. Like all of a sudden, two people are coming in this random room and having sex. Yeah. I Anyways, didn't. Keep going. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. but. This one made me laugh the most. This apartment's never locked, too. Right. I know, right? People just keep going in and out of this. It's like, all right. But anyway. It's a room. It's a safe place. I guess. Um, This is the weirdest one, though. So so they're about to do it, and like she's going to lift his shirt off, and she's like, arms up. So he puts his arms up over his head. He's just like, he's just like. Like a child. Like a child. And I'm like. Like a child. And then he gets like all excited about it. I'm like, what the? Well, fuck? he's like an NFL referee. <laughs> I'm just saying, he does have the best receiving face. Yeah, he's like really excited with That's these chocolates. When they're doing the chocolate thing, I mean, he's just like, he's super excited. I don't know. It's, it's I don't yeah. know. I didn't, it was funny to me. I laughed at that. Uh, and then my last treasure uh, is the chicken and the chirping sound thing. Are you fucking chirp, 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 chirp. I loved it. I don't know. Every time they did that, again, I was dying. So they're not really treasures. They're just more like, all right, I was laughing hysterically every time they said it's funny. Mark at the end. He was like, wait, wait. It's funny that you mentioned that because when I watched watched a YouTube video about it, one of the comments said, what's up with all these room jokes and quotes? Grow up, guys. It's really cheap to make fun of people's work like that. (laughs) Really cheap, 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 cheap. You guys cannot tell me when they were doing the cheap sound that you were not laughing. Okay, yeah. no, do, you guys, I hated do you guys watch Arrested Development? I, I've yes. never seen that. I was going to say, I feel like it was loosely based on that because they're like, you're being a chicken and they'd be like, cock, like they would do non-chicken like sounds and they'd make like these like crazy, like it reminded my, I was like Arrested Development straight up got this from the room. All right, Dominic, what's your trash or treasure with the room? I feel like my trashes are more treasures. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. I don't know how to explain it. It's just like, it's so bad, but you just enjoy it. It's just, I don't know. Um, I thought, well, one of my favorite parts, and I thought it was like so relatable, <laughs> the only relatable part in the movie was when uh, Lisa calls Mark, I believe, after the first time they had sex or something like that. And he's like, oh, I miss you. And he's like, what are you talking about? I just saw you. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> You felt that? I felt that. I was like, yes, I feel that same way every time someone says that to me. I was like, what, what do you mean you miss me? Like, it's like, we just we just tackled Chris R. like five minutes ago. <laughs> that, oh man, what else? Uh, just basically Tommy was so just his, just all the quotes that he said, just like the tearing me apart, Lisa, just, just everything... It's just quotable, and this this is why I just enjoy the movie. That that's pretty much it. Like the whole movie is trash. Don't get me wrong, but it's just at the same time, it's just. Are you gonna watch good. it again? <laughs> Are you gonna watch it again? Yeah, I probably will when we go to the midnight premiere. Uh, oh, it's yeah. a blood oath. It's yeah, happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's happening. Mugga, what's your trash or treasure with the room? I don't know where to start. The the Mark and Lisa sex scenes. Um, I think the added uh, sound in there is just really just creepy not, like awful not the location at all no not at all um it's i did not like that at all staircase me being a former football coach i i the football scenes like the, all of them <laughs> their form sucks not one time is anyone running in circles throwing the ball at each other I, I i no that doesn't you just throw the football you know i i did not like that uh, 
the psychiatrist, okay? Like the scene with the psychiatrist, both, where he's on the roof and talking to Tommy. He literally asks for advice. Well, you're a psychiatrist. What should I do? Or he asks for advice. I don't, I've only seen this movie once. And then like a couple like moments later, he goes, stop being psychiatrist on you us. Always you always know? play psychologist yeah. with us. Like, you just asked him to, dude. Like, what the hell? And up on the roof, he gives his advice. You know, he goes, what's his name? Peter? Like, Peter, yeah. Peter. He says, you want my advice? <laughs> Sometimes life can be complicated. And you have to be responsible. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> and then he says, don't ever see Lisa again. And then don't sleep with Lisa ever again. Well, doesn't the first advice like totally negate the second advice? Like, she gives the worst psychiatrist or whatever in the world. Um, anyways, the fight scene at the end when he says, don't touch me, motherfucker. You know, like, <laughs> but I, hated I feel that. like he enunciated, like, mother. Yeah. yeah. Fucker. Okay. Who's the, what's the girl's name that is Lisa's friend? Michelle. Michelle. So when Michelle walks in on them about to do it at the very end again after he just got advice from. His fr- to not do it. Yeah. She goes, uh, X, Y, Z, Mark. And he looks all confused. And she says, examine your zipper. <laughs> do you guys remember that part? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like, that's how that's how you know this movie's old. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I but feel I like mean, it like, goes back to the ESL, like somebody trying to make something that's like, what Americans say, examine your zipper, X, Y, Z. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't okay. know. Anyways, you know, um, she is obviously not in love with Johnny anymore, this and that. And then after her friend Michelle, then after she goes, well, you know, are you, you have to tell Johnny. And then she gets all compassionate, like that would kill Johnny. That's his best friend. Well, that's what you're cared about. Like yeah. you've just been cheating on him and this is what's going to break his heart. Like whatever. I didn't well, like, I was like, oh, don't tell Johnny, but she's telling everybody that she yeah. doesn't love him. And like, oh, he's so boring and that he, and she literally and is on the couch with her legs, like, Jordan Wood yeah. status, legs draped over him. Holly, I have to disagree with you on the mother. I think she's a complete bitch. Like, she literally <laughs> says, don't throw away your life just because you don't love him. What? Like, I don't, yeah, I didn't agree with the I don't, I don't agree with that. She also says, I didn't want to marry your father. And she's also said she's never been happy since she married her first husband. Like, this girl is a bitch, dude. I don't know where you come from, where I come from. She's known as a bitch. Like, like I, I just, this is awful, dude. Uh, said, but I feel... She, you don't marry for love. Yeah, like, for financial person. stability. Yeah. Like, that's really what I she's mean, telling her to do. But this is, this is, again, written from a man's perspective where women are evil and women are manipulative and women are either too dumb, too smart, or evil. I, I think we okay. all know, like... So I, I, just, under, I understand, though, that... Also, the whole baby thing at the end was... As she's pounding booze. Yeah, no one's going to call it, hey, you're pregnant, but you were just drinking with us. Like, how do you not... But she was never pregnant, though. No, I get she wasn't, but she was telling everyone she was. Oh, and then the appearance of And, like, no one's going to be like, hey, that's great that you're pregnant, but you were just drinking with us. Like, no one's going to call her out on that? I mean, one of the one things that doesn't make sense in this movie. Well, well, she she announces to everyone that she's pregnant, but only tells, like, two people that she's not, but she's still just slamming it. And I'm just like, (laughs) everyone else here doesn't know you're not pregnant. No, but Tommy's the one that announces it. Well, yeah, I'm yeah. just saying. But everyone, it was announced, and she tells two people that she's not, and it's just like still Kicking the person. back wine. Yeah, 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 like no one's business. Um, I hate the the chicken sounds, the chirp. I I, I hate chirp. it. I, I don't know why chirp, you chirp, like chirp, that. Chirp, chirp. It's awesome, um, man. my last really big trash is I think Denny is a creep. I hate his guts. Like this guy is really yeah, but kind of a trash the sound when they're in San Francisco. All the, I, I I hate that it does sound like Legend of Zelda, right? You know, I get that. But it does lead me into my treasures, I guess. I feel like this could be a very good 
movie to have a drinking game with. Every time you see something San Francisco related, trolley car, Golden Gate Bridge, you gotta take a shot, right? And every time you hear tell me say hi to someone, you have to drink, you know? Like, I would get my stomach I think pumped. it would be great, you know? Would, and it, um, and no. that leads into my other treasure that the only other one I could think of, if this movie's not made, then you don't get the disaster artist. I really kind of like actually enjoyed that. So I feel like because this was made, Domino Effect, now we got that. That, that's all I got. <laughs> so you really have no treasures with this movie. No, oh. I don't. I don't at all. He thinks yeah, it's no a potential problems. drinking game, and he likes James Franco. Is <laughs> it it could be about. some for some enjoyable moments, but I, yeah, I don't. I no. Kerwin, what's your trash or treasure? All right, so you guys said a lot of my trash or treasure. Um, listen, um, just all all the technical stuff. We we already know that that's trash. Um, we already know that the dialogue's trash, et cetera, et cetera. Like Dominic said, the whole movie is trash. So I'm just gonna get into things I found interesting that I guess could be my treasures. You know, pretty much the interactions with, with the mom, I think her name's Claudette or whatever, uh, when Lisa tells her, oh, I don't love him, I don't wanna be with him or whatever. And her only response to that is, but you've known him five years. And it's just like, once you know somebody for five years, like you're not allowed but to not be in love with them ever, anymore. Did you ever think of the, like the timing of that? Cause isn't she like 21, 22? Yeah. And she's known him for five years? Yeah. Let's just. You're a math teacher, Mugga. Yeah. Where does that put us? 16, 17. Okay. Well, uh, clearly, clearly Johnny's also the same age, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's, He's the not... same age as all of us, I think. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, Funny story. And just just all the other things, uh, Mike and Michelle coming into the, to the place and saying stupid things like, chocolate is the symbol of love. No, no, it, it is not. It is not. And then they, uh, they make out while they're chewing chocolates. At one point, Mike is already chewing a giant size C's candy and Michelle puts another C's candy in his mouth and proceeds to like just mac on him and like bites it out of his mouth. And then they make out with each other while they're both chewing chocolates at the same time. It sounds it's, disgusting. It is, yeah. it, it's disgusting. I couldn't imagine doing that. That's, that's just gross. Don't um, do it until you try it. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. You know, of all the things that I've done, I think that's the one thing I will not do. Like, wow. I, that's that's the one thing I'm gonna pump the brakes on. Make out with somebody with chocolate in your mouth. That's yeah. the one thing you want to do. Yeah, that's that's disgusting. Yeah, but what? <laughs> I guess <laughs> there's the other scene where Lisa's talking to Johnny after he doesn't get his promotion. And she's just like, at least you have friends. I don't. I didn't get any calls today. You're right about the computer business. It's too competitive. Doesn't Johnny work at a bank? I don't know where the. Doesn't he work at a bank? Okay, so uh, this is the, the what what I got. Oh, he from didn't get it. the promotion. Yeah, you're right. He yeah. works at a bank, but she wants to work in computers. Oh. But computers, like I guess you're right. Computers are really competitive or something. It's just like he wants her at home essentially, okay. so he destroys her dreams. Like. Most men do. Really? I'm just kidding. No, it's just a, no. But he he wants her to be at home. He wants her to be that stereotypical ordering a pizza. You think about everything. That's true. Can you imitate how she orders the pizza? No. What does oh, she say? She says she wants half 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 pineapple and Canadian bacon, and then half artichoke with pesto, easy on the cheese. <laughs> what? She's on a diet. Random. Yeah gentrification at its finest um but you know i'm gonna just go into it real quick but my trash or sorry my treasure uh chris r best actor in the movie 
yeah. period best actor in the movie right. I felt like I was actually watching a real movie and then uh, Claudette and Lisa just F that whole thing up um, when they say oh what kind of money what kind of money do you owe him Denny and in my head I'm just like US dollars like what other <laughs> what other kind of fucking money does he owe this man and then Johnny and Mark run up to the to the roof and they somehow manage to disable this guy who clearly has his finger on the trigger and it's like pointing everywhere and they're like, yeah, let's take him to the police station. Yeah, we're going to take him to the police station. And then arguing with Denny, Claudette, and Lisa, you know, they're arguing. And Claudette is just like, I'm going to call the police. Somebody needs to call the police. And I'm just like, they just took your man to the police. You don't need to call the police anymore. Uh, another, another part that I thought was funny where Mark is talking to Johnny on the rooftop and he's just like, yeah, I used to know a girl. She had a dozen guys. One of them found out and beat her up so bad she ended up in a hospital on Guerrero Street. And Johnny's just like, <laughs> what a story, Mark. And I'm, and I'm just like, so, no, and that was in the movie Disaster. Like, you shouldn't be laughing right so, now. Yeah, okay, so, so, was, so I, the mood shifts and all that. But like like Dominic said, this whole movie's trash. I guess my treasure. No, no, okay, ha- can I give a side story about your last Guerrero Street? Yeah, go ahead. So a funny side story is in the book, Greg talks about that and how they were like, you you can't laugh like this isn't funny and it was kind of how they portrayed it in the movie but i guess they had done that scene so many times where they're like don't don't fucking laugh bro like and they, they'd filmed it so many times that greg sestero actually ad-libbed the guerrero street part because that was the street that he lived on in san francisco and they were in la and like i guess tommy Wiseau's big thing was like don't talk about me don't talk about my cars don't talk about where i live like don't talk about me and he said Guerrero Street, and that's where Tommy Wiseau lived. And he was like furious. But that apparently, and ironically, was the only take that they did that had adequate sound that they kept it in the movie. And I guess Tommy Wiseau was like super livid about it. Yeah, I read um, I read that there was like no ad-libbing allowed or um, right. improvisation. And uh, Greg said that a lot of the cast... Uh, managed somehow to slip it in here and there. Like it was well, like to correct there. it because yeah. there was like weird idioms that he would try to do, like phrases that we say, but he would correct him. Like people would just be like it doesn't make sense the way that you're saying it. Yeah, like you're taking me apart, Lisa. Yeah, just I, I mean I could go on for days about like different scenes that entertain me and stuff. You know, like we said this once again. You know, repeat myself, but this whole movie's trash. You know, the quality of it, the execution, etc. But my treasure with this movie is. I, you know, I can't describe it. I just, I just have a good time watching it because it really kind of gives you uh, the perspective of somebody who's clearly not from the United States and what they think the quintessential Oscar-winning American drama looks like. It has the the, the dramatic suicide, the uh, the conniving, backstabbing friend and fiance or wife or future wife in this movie. It has the uh, the jaded future mother-in-law it has the uh, downtrodden youth that's seeking a mentor it has american football it has guys being yeah it has guys being guys and running and tackling each other life yeah just you know just things like that guys droning on about women and women complaining about men and 
you know, guys going on a jog and, and tackling each other for no reason in the park. And that was and, like the most awkward guy scene. Yeah, there there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in this movie. And I, I know in Disaster Artist there there's the kind of obsession that we talked about with uh, Tommy regarding um, Greg. And I feel I, I know that some of these scenes were put in there to kind of appease Greg because I guess he was frustrated. So Tommy went out of his way to introduce those. But I do feel like there there's a there's a lot of possessiveness that goes on in their relationship and that's that's on screen so i guess i guess my treasure for this movie to kind of keep it short is giving us a glimpse as you know people uh that live in the united states as americans into what people outside of our society look at our films as as well as kind of you know as as much as tommy wiseau likes to keep himself guarded this movie really 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 gives you an insight uh, into what his thoughts are on society in general, thoughts about himself, his sexuality, sexuality in general, gender roles, uh, what relationships should be like or shouldn't be like, um, maybe his own life experiences. Perhaps he had a friend that let him down. Maybe he just couldn't get laid, which is why he tried. Look, he just probably didn't get laid, which is why he extended a lot of those sex scenes and didn't you know he cast girls out or kicked them off of casting because he didn't have chemistry when i would just assume that they didn't want to audition with the sex scene yeah you know to your point holly what you mentioned earlier is that uh i think it was uh what's her name julia danielle Mm -hmm. um she got the scene because she was willing to do that stuff which plays into tommy wiseau's interview where he says women should use their sexuality more to get where they want right and that really all of his interviews this movie especially really gives you an insight into somebody who chooses to remain so guarded about his identity that it's just pouring onto the screen and it's it's just interesting yeah. I, it's just it's interesting like, who hurt you Tommy Wiseau yeah and that's it's an that's interesting thing. movie though I mean that's my trash or treasure so movie's trash but everything surrounding the movie and about the movie is is the biggest treasure for me are so we, are we ever gonna watch this again I will. At the midnight show. We have to. Yeah. I, I think we should have a little gathering one time with other friends. A drinking game, you said. I already got to figure it out. All right. Coming up the rules right I'm now. I'm surprised none of you brought up the video game. I thought you guys were going to. I've never even heard what of the video there's game. There's a video. I don't know much about it. I just read, like, hey, there's a video game where they're, like, exact scenes, and you, I, I don't know, I've never played it. I just read about it literally this morning. There's a video game about this movie you know like it's, i'm just i'm just saying like yeah exactly it. i just found out about the movie a week ago you know so yeah. what's the premise how do you play how do you win again like, i've never played it so i don't know you read about it i'm just i'm trying to pry your knowledge All right okay anyways moving on uh let's get into how much we would pay to see the room holly how much would you pay zero dollars wow wow all right jason how much would you pay <laughs> Does he give an explanation? no explanation I watched it on my phone. I watched it. I read the book, which I actually paid to read the book. But the movie itself, I don't think it shows American cinema. I don't think it portrays American cinema. I don't think it does anything for kind of like what the Canada judge said. It just it in and of itself is shit. And so by making fun of shit, it's not putting down the original project. It It's just shit. So you wouldn't pay to go see like a bunch of friends hit you up. Let's go see the... 
I would go to the okay. Here's the thing: is I would pay money to go see the midnight showing uh-huh. with you guys. Like Wait, I would. Are you paying for the movie or the experience? The experience. Okay, hundred percent. So I would go to like throw spoons gotcha. and witness people that like geek out on this stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm and I'm not going to be there. And I, it wouldn't be in like a malicious way to be like, oh, this movie's stupid. I'm above it. Like I understand because halfway through it, I stopped trying to make sense of it and was just like, what else could happen? And like I said, a shark could have come in the living room and eaten Tommy Wiseau, and it at that point would not have surprised me. And we didn't talk about how there was a possibility of Tommy being a vampire, being a vampire and having a flying car. I think, which it's like, it's like, it's a true story about during the day. And he's like, yeah, (laughs) whatever. He's a really successful banker. And if that guy was my bank teller, I would immediately switch banks. Like I would revoke my money. I appreciate your, I would bank at another banking institution. Holly's giving it zero dollars. I am. I'm giving it zero. But I'm just saying if we went to a parent, it wouldn't be in malice. It wouldn't be anything looking down at other people enjoying this movie. Cause I think it is, Hilarious, and I literally laughed out loud. At we are going lines. to watch this again. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. But to. I would, yeah, I would pay for the experience, not the movie itself. Zero. All right, all right, Jason, how much would you pay to watch The Room? So, I mean, again, I the order I watched this in was I watched The Disaster Artist first, and then I watched The Room, and I I liked the movie The Disaster Artist. I thought it was interesting. Again, I heard interviews with Tommy Wiseau and James Franco is interesting, but I was, I mean, I've always heard that this is, you know, the worst movie ever made, you know, The Room. And then after watching it now, I see why people, you know, say that about this. Um, when I when I look at it from, like, reading about, like, these, like, kind of like how Rocky Horror Picture Show does their big experience with, um, movie, with the movie around Halloween, and then reading how The Room does their experience, I mean, that, that does, sounds interesting. There's a cult following. I understand that. Sounds like people have fun with it. Um, and in that sense, you know, that's interesting in, in itself. I, I may go see a midnight showing of it just to experience it once, but probably never again after that. But all in all with this movie, it's just there's just so many plot issues. The acting is awful. The sex scenes, the music. The one thing I didn't talk about my trash and treasure, there's the tuxedo scene when they're going to go play football. And he, and he falls. And he falls. But right before that, when Mark walks in, he's clean shaven. And I guess the idea was to like make this like this awesome moment in the movie. But I guess the whole reason that Tommy wanted the Mark character to shave us so he could call him Babyface or something like that. Yeah. And it's just like a creepy thing. I don't know why it creeps me out that you want to call him Babyface and then he, like he created this name for him, this nickname. I don't know. Uh, just kind of playing to all, all of Tommy Wiseau's weird, you know, Tommy eccentricities. Yeah. Um, Wasn't but, he going to get a role too, like in Disaster Artist and depict like... Uh, Malcolm in the Middle. I was wondering if that's yeah. a true story. They didn't want him to shave? They wanted him Did they talk about that? He wanted to be like a lumberjack book. character on yeah. Malcolm in the Middle and the guy offered him, who's the guy that plays in Breaking Bad? Brian, Brian Cranston. And he literally offered him, hey, like, I don't, I don't know if it's true or not. It I wasn't I in the know. book, but it was basically like he he called him Babyface and like the one take that actually had good quality, it like stayed in the movie. Yeah. And Greg Sestero was like, I, I want to keep my beard on so that way if this movie is a colossal fail, I can just shave off my beard and not be that person. Yeah. Again, just a weird moment that they fo- hyper-focused on. Um, so, I mean, I think I'm just going to give this a zero. I'll cut it short. Okay. Uh, Dominic, how much are you paying to watch The Room? <laughs> the fact that you're laughing. I mean, I... <laughs> this side of the table is so much fun. <laughs> you're killing me, Lisa. Oh, man. You're killing me. You're tearing me apart, Dom. It's a big Hollywood movie. <laughs> Everybody betray me. Don't worry about it. 
Nah, like similar to what I was saying, like the experience as far as like going with friends and tagging along and like witnessing like the phenomenon that is, you know, coined as the worst, <laughs> worst best movie ever or best yeah, worst yeah, movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like I would pay for that. But as far as like if there was no disaster artist, if there was no hype around it, like if you told me it was the worst movie, I would not pay for it. So it's zero dollars. I'm su- I'm genuinely but I would surprised. Pay um, and go like watch it. Oh, multiple yeah. times. Oh, <laughs> just yeah. How much like, you paying? Zero. Oh, you paying zero? I didn't hear it. My bad. I thought he was gonna be the one that would give this like yeah. the dollar, like the five dollars. All right, Mugga, how much are you paying to I, watch? I it? would, I would pay the five dollars for the experience. If we're gonna go throw the spoons at the screen, um, have us together drinking game, or just hey, we we're all together friends and we we can laugh about it. But to actually go to a theater to watch me, which I think is what our I think our ranking sims about I I'm going zero. I cannot give this a dollar. I can't, you know. Plus you can't even buy it. So how am I gonna pay any money? You know, you can't get it anywhere, but all right. I'm going zero. All uh, right, Kerwin, what are you gonna give? This is room? legendary because it could be our first oh, zero across the board. It's up to Kerwin. All right, so I'm gonna just say flat out, for the experience alone, I would pay twenty. For the experience alone. Right. And, and I and I yeah, understand yeah. that. I understand yeah. that. Yeah. Like, I think to go to a midnight showing, it's again yeah. the experience. Yeah, and even if you don't go to a midnight I showing, you, I think I think this is a movie you like if you like movies, yeah. if you love movies, if you're interested in film, I think this is a movie you have to watch. Yeah. You have to watch this movie. Because of, you know, the story about how it got made. Um, just the history of the movie. Yeah, just the history of the movie. Tommy Wiseau as an individual, like, it's just fascinating, you know, his and story. I, I think if you are in L.A. with people in, and you say, hey, I went to a midnight showing of the 20, of a, of a I was going to say $20 ticket. Like, we don't have our own <laughs> uh, midnight showing. Of, <laughs> Get ahead of yourself yeah, there. Yeah. I went to a midnight showing of the room. People would be like, oh, my God, was it so fun? I think it would, you would kind of like. I guess get street cred right there, you know? yeah. <laughs> whatever, you know. Not Chris R. Street the, cred. Yeah. No, 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 no. So I, I, I know I completely understand that because I mean, I same thing, you know. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, other than that, you know, just just kind of everything I mentioned in uh, my treasure portion. You know, all my treasure was about the things surrounding the movie. Um, so for this movie to actually like if this movie came out and I had to go like an AMC or something like that and I had to pay to watch it, I would pay zero. Jesus. Wow. So 20 for the experience, zero for an actual ticket. So what's the math on that, Muggs? Uh, I need a calculator. <laughs> we are paying zero dollars to watch the room. You're we talked about me apart. <laughs> no, but like but like I, I will say this, like I thought about I thought about saying like, oh, I'd pay five or ten because like I, I personally enjoy this movie, but then I have to I have to look at it this way, like do I like the intent of the movie is to be one thing. Whether it's whether its intent was to be a, a classic American drama or to be a black comedy like Tommy Wiseau flips it after the reviews came out, you know, that if that was the intent then you have failed miserably. Therefore, you don't get my money. But everything that has happened after the release, post-release, that is what I'm paying for. So I can't, I can't, I have to be completely honest and say that I wouldn't pay to watch this. I love that we're giving it a zero. But let me ask you guys, are we at some point in the future all going to watch this together numerous times? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. What the fuck is numerous? 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 I don't know about numerous. I would numerous. say once. Yeah. yeah. I'm down to see it a sixth time. <laughs> All right. Man. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so I would be, like, uh, be down multiple times, honestly. Who's bringing the spoons, though? Tom Cruise could bring the spoons. <gasps> if Tom Cruise is in it, 
quickly because we got to get. Oh, yeah. who, who, who does is he play? He? Who does he play? Jason. <laughs> I think he's got to be Mark. It's got to be Mark, man. Mm-hmm. I'll go with Denny. He has. Oh, to be Denny. oh good one. <laughs> the peeping Tom yeah. child. He has to be Denny. <laughs> I would Jay. smile. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm thinking Mark. I'm going Mark. I'm going Mark. I'm going to go Mike because I want him to tell the story of him losing his underoos. Me underwears. Me underwears. There we go. Dom. Yeah, Mark. Okay. So in the words of Tommy Wiseau. Oh, hi, Sally. Bye, doggy. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of $20 Ticket. Follow us on Instagram at $20 Ticket and leave your ticket price about the movies we've reviewed. If you have any comments or suggestions, send them to $20ticket at gmail.com. That's two zero, the numbers, $20ticket at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, and thank you for listening.